Dear Dimwitty, are you out there? Can you hear us? We hope you're doing okay. You've missed so much, Dimwitty. We need to catch you up on everything that's happened in DuckTales. We're here to recap and discuss each episode of DuckTales 2017 for the benefit of our close personal friend, Dimwitty Duck, who was last seen on October 12th, 2011 in the comic Dangerous Currency. If you're out there, Dimwitty, we're coming for you. Just hold on. Welcome to Dear Dimwitty, a DuckTales recap podcast. I'm Monty. And I am Mahi. Um, so there really isn't any news. Uh, Michelle no. Gomez was in uh, Fight for Casper McDuck. Very, very yep. good. She was great. I just love those kinds of episodes. I mm. love them so much. I love sibling dynamic episodes, which is why I enjoyed this week's episode so much. Yeah, everyone hated it, apparently. Or like all like, the, the diehard fans hated it because they like fucked up Matilda's character, question mark. I didn't realise. <laughs> I didn't realise there was um uh, such a push to, I don't know. I think they were also mad about it being like, oh, it's celebrity casting. It's just like a Doctor Who joke. It's like, well, I mean, she's also just like Scottish, so. <laughs> oh, well, but that was a good episode. I liked that episode. Um, ev- everyone here over the podcast last episode. So really, that's the only opinions that you should care about. Yeah, we- we're important um, and we're the only people who care. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then we have our we have our Christmas episode next week, and then it's like a, a horror of horrors. We're not going to have any new Ducktales for a while. Oh no! Yeah, so we're going to be going on hiatus through at least the end of twenty twenty. Um, no word yet on when Ducktales is returning in the new year. Hopefully, it's not too long, but um, really, it's anybody's yeah. guess as to um when we're going to get the last batch of episodes for season three. And also when, if we're going to get a season four, that's the other thing that's kind of up in the air at the moment. So speaking of sibling dynamics, do you want to get into the episode? Yeah, that was a really good segue. <laughs> was it? <laughs> well, it was a good segue for a thing that you said like five minutes ago. <laughs> I'm sorry, I started reading a sentence on the internet and I forgot what I was doing or where I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, so this is uh, episode 13, Day of the Only Child, which is mm. a sibling, a sibling based episode. Um, and it kind of, we've talked a little bit before about episodes that have shaken up the, um, the classic A story, B story, C story, um, stru- episode structure a little bit by like mm-hmm. making it all A story and eliminating the side, side plots. Um, this one is evenly divided into three chunks, yes. which is interesting. Um, because well it it makes sense why it's done because by having one a story and then cutting back to the other the other stories would give one story prominence which Mm -hmm. you don't really want to happen and the way that they've set it up to do all the stories do all the stories at their own time still allows them to dovetail at the end um so I think it's a smart structure. It works for the episode. Um, I do have a little bit of a problem with it, which I'll get into later. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly, mostly it's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but before before it starts, before it starts to split up, uh, we open uh, on the boys' room in the mansion, um, and we see Judy kind of surreptitiously rifling through a chest of belongings. 
Um, he's interrupted by Webby. See, she's showing off the DT-87, which is a new security bot that Scrooge has gotten for the mansion, and it's presumably an extension of the DT-87 security system we saw in McMystery. Yes. Um, uh, she's wondering where Huey and Louie are, but Dewey tells her that he's an only child. He has no idea who those people are. Um, and then Webby immediately takes him very seriously and assumes that she's crossed over into a dystopian alternate dimension, and Dewey is a doppelganger or a doppelganger, and she... <sighs> tries to kill him i um, i love this opening so much <laughs> i love it a lot oh. uh, i love i love the setup here of like dewey's highly secretive um activity that we're yes. not that's that we're not going to find out what it is until until uh, the last the last part of the episode um uh, I really, really like Webby riding in on top of the robot and calling it adorable and then getting bucked off and like <laughs> fucking punking <laughs> onto the ground. I, I like, um, I'm a big fan of the, the continued um, trend of, of Webby continuing to find death and violence just like very cute. Um, yes. The kind of direct continuation from, from Spirit's thing where she, she thought the manticore was, um, no, the, or the chimera was a. Uh, <laughs> just very adorable. She just wanted to slay it. Um, very similar vibe <laughs> happening here. I really liked also a return to um. It's very re- It's a different motivation. Um, and he's obviously got a reason for saying it, but uh, it's a little bit of a return to uh to woo. Uh, in the oh, it is. Uh, who's Dewey? When when he says, "Where are Huey and Louie?" and Dewey goes, "Who?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that that is very cute. cute. Yes, it does. It cha- channel the kind of flat out panic denial um, when he's very obviously hiding something. Um, so Webby like obviously misunderstands him when he says that, uh, or not really misunderstands him, but takes him seriously. Yeah, uh, exactly. When he says that he's an only child and he doesn't have uh, and he doesn't have brothers, um, and then when he but as soon as as soon as he sees that she's taking him too seriously, he immediately starts trying to de-escalate and like. Calm her down. It's she so obviously cute. thinks he's a doppelganger, so she it's, tries to kill him instead. It's really cute how he like he he like realizes that he's like he is given this, you know <laughs> he is told like the the little girl who grew up in a house with like a paranoid ex spy and like a shitty adventuring old man. Um so of course if he tells her this then she's going to like assume like the most insane like uh answer is true. So he does kind of realize his mistake very quickly and start trying to calm her down but um it was already too late she has bloodlust in her eyes um and she's trying to rip his head off yeah um and then Huey and Louie burst in and kind of come to his rescue um kind of drag him out of Webby's clutches very <laughs> cutely um and they explain that it's just Dewey's made up holiday only child day mm. um Dewey is very insistently pretending that Huey and Louie are random strangers kind Samaritans that, uh, that <laughs> came and rescued him um uh, Louis, uh, Louis very amused by this, and Huey is obviously very irritated by it. Um, there's also uh, what I wanted to know is that one while while they're kind of wrestling on the ground, um, Webby's got at one point Webby's got her hands hooked into like Huey's Dewey's <gasps> cheeks and yes, like, pulling them yes. back. Yes, he I'm gl- learned I'm glad that you from that her well. and then yes. used it on Drake. I'm glad you noticed that as well. It's um one of my favorite kind of uh Dewey like 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 it's not like a character trait so much as it is just like an action that he does uh, a few times. 
um, which is that he he likes to like <laughs> he likes to grab people by the mouth from behind <laughs> and point them places. <laughs> it's quite good. It's very cute, and I like that. Um, it's only it's some behavior that he learned from Webby when she tried to kill him that one time. It was effective, so he's like, "Wow, I'll add that to my yeah. repertoire." Yeah. Um, and Huey and Dewey kind of start sniping at each other. Huey's saying that only child day is stupid and, you know, it's ridiculous and look, it's already um, almost gotten you killed, he says, <laughs> referring to Webby because she was totally going to kill him. Um, and Dewey's kind of being obstinate and, and, uh, and they're kind of, they're kind of snippy with each other. And Louis is sitting by, uh, looking ha- so happy so pleased and content watching his brother's fight because he loves the drama. He loves drama. I love, um, just kind of, Louis just has, like, a very smug smile on his face throughout this entire exchange. Like, he's, like, there's a moment where he, like, he, like, kind of crosses his legs and he, like, puts his chin in his hand and he's just, like, watching his brothers argue and it's, like, he's, like, a conniving, like, little bitch here. He loves it when people fight, but only if it doesn't involve him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. As soon as it, as we're gonna see, as soon as it involves him, he bursts into tears. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he's so funny. Um, so Dewey explains what the concept of only child is, only child day is to Webby, um, which is basically a day a day in the holiday where they all pretend that they don't have siblings and that they're only children and do whatever they've always wanted to do that they haven't been able to do because they have brothers. Yeah. Um, he it turns out Huey hasn't managed to have only child day yet because he hasn't been able to break into Huey's sibling calendar. But he finally got around it by just writing only child day directly on the tablet screen in Sharpie. <laughs> One of my favorite fa- like like just like facets of this particular joke is that Huey respects the schedule enough to just kind of go along with whatever is written on it, no matter like he doesn't want to do this. He thinks it's stupid, but it's on. It's on. It's on the calendar. Even it's if it's on just the like, calendar. Know, it's on this calendar. It's on the calendar in permanent marker, but it's on the calendar. Um, yeah. I just. I love that he. It's on he, the screen of his iPad <laughs> in permanent marker. <laughs> it's. It's such like a funny like um, taking his like love of like lists and schedules to extreme to be like, well, it's on the list. Gotta guess. I gotta <laughs> listen to like the word of God here. Um, these are I inscribed gotta. upon tablets that we took down from, from the mountain. Yeah. But he's gonna be mad about it. He's gonna be mad about um, it. Uh, we also get, uh, when, when they're describing the holiday, uh, we get some very quick kind of statements on their characters, which are very informative. Yes. Um, so Dewey wants to do on each other because he wants to make his mark on the world. Um, mm-hmm. because he's so tired of getting lumped in with his identical brothers um, yes. That he feels like he can't really be independent or break out on his own, um, and we're going to see a little bit more of that when it comes to his kind of segment. In that, uh, it's tied up. Uh, his kind of desire for Andy Day is tied up a lot with his fear of judgment. Yes, um, y'all very much so. Yeah, um, and then Louis excited that he won't have to answer to anyone, um, which is again kind of based on a fear of judgment, but it's because. Uh, Kind of being a sibling carries a, a certain responsibility to the family and to behave in a way that is appropriate to the family. Yes. And he wants to indulge basically his selfish desires 
and he's sick of being like prevented from doing that or judged for doing that yes. and he just doesn't and he just wants to get a day where he ha- can forget about all that yes. and doesn't have to feel ashamed of what he wants and what he wants to do and just kind of embrace it it's um, also kind of like which, a facet of him being the youngest which um uh obviously yes. obviously like in in like in practicality and like you know like uh twin and like triplet dynamics oldest and youngest means very little but um yeah it's kind of like the the roles here are quite uh like especially for huey as the oldest brother he is often quite uh informed yeah. by that his identity is quite informed by that so it's kind of like and louis doesn't often kind of like show off that he sees himself as the youngest but here i think it's mm-hmm. quite obvious where he's like oh i don't have to listen to my, my two older brothers like you know yeah um they I also can, like that yeah, he's yeah, kind yeah. of like his perception of like being an only child is just fucking like being an, a child emperor. Like he doesn't have to listen to anybody. He does. <laughs> <laughs> he's so funny. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, in Louis' mind, only child is synonymous with soul heir. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, they're like they are. They are synonyms, I guess. Um. In very very broad terms, um, <laughs> it's interesting, right? How their views on Only Child Day are so informed by their position in like yes. the in like the in the birth order, and it's so interesting that that is like in name alone. Because again, because they're triplets, there is no practical difference between them. Yeah, no, it's there's like no gap in maturity. About. There's no like responsibility that's been meted out here. It's just the fact. It's just to, to they're the oldest youngest um, distinctions only matter as long as they embrace them, and they all do. So yeah, but Huey especially because Huey is the type of person uh, to take a arbitrary label very very seriously. Oh, very um, much so. Yeah. So and it ties in again with that with Dewey's uh, Dewey's kind of thing coming from not wanting to be the anonymous middle child. Mm. Um. So, uh, Huey is when he's kind of confronted with Only Child Day. He says, "You know, you'd be horribly alone." Um, because not only does he identify himself by his status as older brother, so he's kind of in a tailspin when that gets taken away from him. Um, but he's also very lonely outside of the safety net that's provided by his family. Yeah. Um, particularly when you consider that, um, his brothers are kind of more predisposed to. Um, do well in kind of social situations outside the mm. family because Dewey's got this kind of natural popularity. You know, obviously he wishes he was a lot. He had a lot more natural popularity, but we see in bits like in like little details like Day Trip of Doom and and uh, and Moonlander that he gets that he like forms relationships with people outside of the family and that he garners attention and is finds it very easy to talk to people and 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 interact with people yeah Um, and louis obviously has uh these really good social skills so huey in comparison is really cast drift when it comes to uh when it comes to having to try and like make his own friends outside of a outside of a framework and that's going to be kind of illustrated in uh in the three-man cookout yeah Um, yes Which is also why he's very upset because today is the Junior Woodchuck Three Man Cookout, so he's fucked. <laughs> yeah, I like this a lot. I like, um, I really like the kind of, uh, I think the setup for this episode is quite, quite well done. Like, um, the, the, the framing device of Huey needing his brothers to do an activity. It is, um, 
uh, quite an interesting departure from like obviously the original DuckTales, all three triplets were Junior Woodchucks because they were mm-hmm. the same person. So it's very interesting to kind of have that entire character trait put solely into Huey um, in a way that mm-hmm. like uh, we like it, like we haven't like we obviously we've seen that he is like the Junior Woodchuck, but um, uh, Dewey and Louie kind of express like a lot of disdain for the concept. Um, mm-hmm. but, like actively here, they're like, oh, this is so like, I this is so boring. Why would we want to go do that with you? That's that's terrible. I hate the Junior Woodchucks. So it's quite interesting to see like them, uh, sort of just like wholeheartedly reject this, uh, this um previously universal character trait that they had. They used to share. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see how some um, uh, losers, diehard fans, <laughs> um, would be <laughs> would be really would be be quite offended by them. Um, kind of rejecting what would have been viewed as like a staple of their characters in oh, previous one, generations. 100%. I can, I can confirm to you that <laughs> multiple people on the Feathery Society were very upset that, um, that, uh, Dewey and Louis, um, decried the, uh, the, the Junior Woodchucks. But like, when you actually think about it for two seconds, um, and think about their personalities, of course they fucking hate the Junior wood, the junior Woodchucks. Louis, like, Louis hates the Junior Woodchucks. He hates hard work. Why would he want to go out and do the He hates hard work. He hates submitting himself to rules that he doesn't understand like the purpose of or the benefit of, which is what scouting organizations like that are based around. Like, it takes a lot of, like, ascribing to, like, tenets and, like... <laughs> <laughs> and like principles and rules that you just have to obey yeah. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and uh and of co- and also like there's a when when you're in a group like that there's a certain uh, loss of identity and becoming part mm-hmm. of like a group and becoming a team member not a standout role so of course Dewey would fucking hate it so like of course they're not they're not woodchucks of course they hate the woodchucks it all i mean this all stems from people being mad that they got split into three separate people in the first place oh yeah um yeah. It, it, they should have gone the other of... way and and just merged like the three identical triplets <laughs> into one person um it, it, an interesting kind of facet of that is that um this is kind of like a, a, a side tangent just from me scrolling through the, the feathery society um ducktales 2017 thread yesterday which is that um by and large the triplet that is the triplet that is hated the most in like the reboot is louis because they're like he has none of their like original like character traits. He is nothing like them. He's evil. He's a terrible character. He like doesn't love his family. He's lazy. He's mean. He's greedy. It's like yeah, he's ten. So <laughs> <laughs> he's ten years old. He's ten and years he's old. Cute, what do you want? He's sweet. He's a it's nice just very, boy. It's just kind of very really funny seeing these people take take Louis like being the evil triplet pretty much at face value, where it's like no. oh yeah. He has character. Like, he has character. He he literally in Neverest. He like explicitly cares about his family. Like he goes yeah. out of his way. Someone to, like, who is like only by the vaguest possible, like the most generous definition, is his family. Exactly. It's it's just very funny to see people be like, oh well, he's greedy. That's that's not my Louis. That's not my Louis. Who is ident- <laughs> Who is like, 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 uh, completely. You cannot like differentiate him from his brothers. That's that's the Louis, the Louis I love. I just think it's very Not stupid for people to get up in arms about <laughs> the characters of the triplets when they didn't have one. They were just like yeah. Previously, they were just kind of like Hashtag a plucky little boy. <laughs> but it's just like previously uh, it was kind of like like a plucky little boy. Like they were just a boy scout. That was like their character trait. 
um, is that they were Boy yeah. Scouts. And now they have, they have like, personalities and people are mad about it. So, um... Yeah. On uh, that on that kind of note, I'd, I'd be interested in kind of doing more research into, like, Quack Pack. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That is, that is fair. That, that did kind of colour a lot of people's perception of um, mm. separating the triplets. But also, like... You can see how the personalities for these triplets came from, like, taking the birth order quite seriously. And again, yes. they took the birth order based on just the order that the names go in. Yeah. Uh, so you have, like, they're all kind of built from out of this archetype of, like, the responsible oldest brother, the kind of overlooked middle child who, like, doesn't want to be. And, like, the spoiled, like, baby brother, you know? Mm. Like, yeah they're built out of these very broad archetypes into these very specific, really interesting characters. Um, so I can definitely see why they would have kind of discarded um, any kind of uh, quackback basi- basis. And also because in a show like Quackback, um, characterization tends to be a little bit uh, all over the place and inconsistent. Yes. Um, um, I, am, I, am just, I am just taking a quick look at the, uh, the, the characters list on, on Quackback. Um, which is kind of interesting looking at like the character traits that have that have been written down here, which is that um Huey acts as the leader, which is I feel like that's more of a Dewey trait in um in the reboot. Huey is kind of like a leader in the sense that he will make like make a plan, but Dewey tends to be the like leading the charge. Um I'm sorry, was... did you see that did you see that it says that Huey is the <laughs> Lothario? I was getting to that. Huey's <laughs> 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 the seducer. That that one was kind of in that, that was kind of interesting to me. So Huey's the kind of Huey's the like the you know, the leader, the Casanova, um, the like the strong willed one, which is not very much like Huey in the reboot. Dewey ten- Dewey is the most level headed, not true. Um he's also got a good mm-hmm. knowledge of technology. That's just so that seems to just be Huey. And then Louis is a huge fan of comic book and sports. More so than his brothers. Yeah, and, and that's his only character and trait. And that's his only character trait. Dewey's also got the character trait of being a, of being a practical joker and a prankster. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Mm. So um, that's kind of, that's, that's, I mean, obviously this is crack, but this is kind of just like, uh, this is like the, the, the comedy focus. This is the, like the first attempt at separating the triplets and it tried to do it in like a, I think probably their main focus, he was trying to make them like, cool teens or like cool preteens or whatever yeah. age they're supposed to be so there was less of a focus on making them like characters and more of a focus on making them like entertaining to watch um yeah and there's more of like it's it, it, it's it's a comedy show again it's not like a, a story-based show like uh like DuckTales 2017 is um but it's just it's just interesting that like the 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 character traits established here have just been completely like there is no there is no like referencing back to this in DuckTales 2017, there is like none of this. Has no, been it's just completely, no, it's just it's just not taken into consideration at all. Mm. But it makes sense because when you get to like particularly like sitcom type of setups like this, um, characters don't tend to be like planned out with arcs. Instead, their characterization tends to just kind of kind of snowball yeah because they as they get traits added for the sake of the plot of one episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it just kind of builds from there um yes. and so you end up with these really inconsistent uh, character traits so i think ultimately it's a mercy that they kind of disregarded quack pack um 
and uh, yeah, I think it's uh, fucking stupid to be uh, <laughs> really upset about Trip as having personalities. And also, if you're like still mad about it, like you, I think you have I'm to gonna have on. to. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to like. I'm, we're gonna have to like actually infiltrate the feathery society and let these people know that they don't have to watch Doctor Who 2017. <laughs> yeah, there's been like a lot of like like spirited debate lately on the feathery society um the DQ 2017 thread like like a lot of like genuine debate about whether this is a good show and it's like okay like it's a show for children first of all. <laughs> yeah, like it's, I know that I know that's a little bit hypocritical coming from us who run a who like run a podcast analyzing it, but it's also yeah. Like, but we're watching it because we like it. Yeah, like, <laughs> they're it's, watching it's, it because they seem to fucking hate it. <laughs> they're watching it because they're mad at it, shitting all over the comics or whatever. And it's like okay, it's fine. Like, you don't have to watch it. It's fine. You don't have to watch it. You don't have yeah. to post about it. If it's gonna make you yeah. mad, just um stop doing it. Maybe that's my that's my tip for living like a healthy life. Is if it's gonna make you mad, don't do it. Yeah, haters disease. Um, so <laughs> anyway, but, but anyway, back to the enough, episode. Enough, enough vaguing the fandom. Yeah, um, vaguing such a specific part of the fandom, which is so completely <laughs> divorced from like any of our listenership. Anyway, um, so Louis Louis uh, says that because he's now the sole heir to Scrooge's fortune and temporarily immune to his family's disapproval, more importantly, um, he can go and weasel his way into the good graces of Doofus Drake, the richest kid in Duckburg. Uh, another um, hold a, a character in name only from uh, from the original DuckTales. This one was uh, also quite controversial. Yeah, I mean, Doofus Drake was originally a fellow junior woodchuck. Um, and, he was also uh, kind of um, Launchpad's sidekick. Um, yeah, the star of my favorite clip from the, from the original DuckTales, which is, I thought you were my hero. That <laughs> goes, oh, you're wrong, okay? Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> oh, my favorite video. Anyway, um, so he's the richest kid in Duckburg. Um, uh, and Dewey's only child plans are secret. Mm. Um, so Louis' motivation here really is that outside the family he doesn't have to behave in a way that fits into their values um, and that's the not answering to anyone bit that yes. we kind of referenced before um, so he's it's pretty clear he's pro only child day um, yeah. but he's still unwilling to actually openly side with Dewey on it because he doesn't like getting in fights um, and uh, Webby is confused because she doesn't understand why Dewey or Louie wouldn't want to be triplets anymore. Um, again, based on this very kind of um, overly literal interpretation of what she's being told. Um, which is interesting. Um, yes. Hmm. That's an interesting she, way of... That's an interesting character trait that she's taking this very literally. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> Probably doesn't mean anything, right? Um... <laughs> So she really doesn't understand it because she's always envied how they effortlessly kind of have a place with each other as family. Um, yes. And that place isn't honorary or temporary or precarious or forgotten. And it's a bond that can't be broken or lost or destroyed with a cruel word from a role model. But anyway. I hope that doesn't happen. Anyway. Um, 
And Huey, Huey's on her side uh, because he values his place as a triplet and as an older brother very highly. Um, he's And he's specifically in this scene, he's not just upset that they'll have to do that he'll have to do like a cookout alone or have to spend the day without his brothers he's offended that they would ever not want to be brothers with him after everything yeah. he does for them that they take for granted yeah um so it's inter it's interesting how how like he's very genuinely angry about this like he's upset by this kind of idea of this holiday um he's kind of personally offended um, I think it's interesting that Huey and Webby are the ones who, um, I mean, obviously they um, value like being a part of this particular kind of dynamic very, very highly. And uh, Huey, because it's an intrinsic part of his identity that he can't really function without. Um, and Webby, because it's something that she that she always really wants. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting that they don't really seem to see the appeal of it or see that see it the way that Huey and Louis that Dewey and Louis see it which is that it's one day where they just kind of get to make believe and it doesn't yeah. mean anything beyond that that they don't yeah. actually not want to be brothers anymore that they don't actually dislike their brothers um they just kind of want to they just kind of want a day to do their own thing yeah um <laughs> and that's it so I think it's it's interesting that that Huey and Webby are the, are uh are, aren't really seeing that and are kind of uh interpreting it differently mm. quite interesting you uh, might say but interesting actually <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um so Dewey and Webby are, are kind of fighting about it uh no Dewey and Huey are fighting about it um, that was a new one. I don't think I don't think you've ever called one of the triples Webby before. You call them each other names all the time, but I don't think you've ever called Webby into it. This ep this episode is going to be such a fucking mess. <laughs> but um, but yeah, we get we get we get we get a brothers fight, like a proper a brothers fight. fight. Yeah, so Huey, Huey and Dewey are Huey and Dewey are first are first kind of fighting. Um, they try and drag Louie into it, uh, even though he's actually on. Dewey side in that as long as it as long as only Chade is gonna happen he might as well make the most of it and you know he's got a great way to do that um but when he's being literally pulled in two directions by his brothers he bursts into tears and he responds to that by tackling Dewey to the ground and fucking wrestling him <laughs> I'm, I'm so obsessed with the like the like the frame of like um like Louis like sinking to the ground like crying into his hands he's like on his knees while Dewey and Huey wrestle. It's so yeah, funny. and Louis crying like he's stop like, he's, fighting. He's like sobbing, <laughs> and, and Huey and Dewey are like trying to like attack and strangle each other, and Webby's in the background just looking bewildered. <laughs> Yeah, I think I just love this. I love this scene specifically for like obviously Huey and Dewey's having like this like this like little boy fight is very amusing. Um but specifically this this very clear illustration of something that we've seen a little bit of before which is that Louis loves watching other people fight, but as soon as he gets involved, he just bursts into tears. <laughs> he can't handle it at all. He hates it's, it. It's such a cute character trait. It really is. It's very yeah. like it kind of it's it's one of the things that kind of like pulls uh, Louis back down to the level of like a child because I think a lot of the time yeah. he kind of like manages to act to act the most 
adult and the most mature out of all of them. So it's kind yeah. of nice to get moments like this where it's like he hates he hates being in the middle of his brothers fighting and it just makes him cry. <laughs> he just breaks into tears. <sighs> uh, I think I think is this the fr- I think this is the first kind of reference to to Louis being a bit of a crybaby is that we get. Um, obviously there's like there's a little bit of a scene later on. Um, in the season is it this season or later? Um, or Scrooge comments, you know. <laughs> Uh, that Louis like cries in life or death situations, yeah. <laughs> which is like, yeah, <laughs> he's ten, <laughs> but that he has this consistent character trait of of of, uh, of being like tearful when he, when he's uh, when he's very upset. Yeah, um, that the others really don't have. Um, so we kind of move on to uh, to Only Child Day, uh, and this episode obviously is split into is split into these three segments. Uh, each following one of the boys on their Only Child Day, um, and the first segment is Huey's, and this is kind of where the structure doesn't really work for me mm-hmm. because I just didn't really like Huey's segment that much. So it really? made the first chunk of this episode feel like a bit of a slog because it was just that, and I feel like I would have liked liked it a lot better if it had been cutting away. But mm-hmm. I think it's just because I think it's because the specific kind of humor that comes with the Beagle Boys, I'm not that really into. And this episode is really impressive because each segment has its own kind of sense of humor. Yes. And I love the Doofus Drake humor because I've always loved the Doofus Drake humor. Happy birthday, Doofus Drake is one of my favorite episodes. Um because I think it's just so funny. Because <laughs> I love it. It's like very, very classic Louis stuff of having like this really dark situation. <laughs> like this really disturbing, like a morbid situation going on. Um, and having like that be the humor, the source of humor. And then um, Dewey's is like based entirely on like Ben Schwartz just doing this fucking incredible shit. And also this really cute, like childish thing yeah. uh, that's happening. So that's really funny and really cute. But the Beagle Boy humor specifically for me, it just doesn't really hit that well. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I think that it's just a bit more slapstick. I don't know. Um, it just doesn't really... I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 don't think it's, I don't think it's badly written. I don't think it's badly staged. I don't think it's badly <clears throat> acted. I don't think anything is actually technically wrong with it. It's just not to my taste, specifically. And yeah. it's just the fact that unlike pretty much every other epi- episode where this type of humor has come up, because of the structure of the episode, where it's just kind of this uninterrupted kind of uh, span of it, makes mm. kind of tires me out a bit at the start of this episode. That's understandable. I mean, personally, I loved this because I love the Beagle Boys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I also kind of... um. Uh, like I won't say like slapstick is my favorite kind of humor, but I think I probably have a uh, a fairly high tolerance for it and a fairly high enjoyment of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I just like I find the um, I I really like the kind of like the montage that happens here and the like um, I I I kind of am a, a big fan of like the way that this the this this particular way that things go wrong here. Um, <laughs> um, but I can definitely see how it is like a little bit it, it this episode does feel like at first they were going to cut between um yes but then uh for for some structure reason they had to change that so um yeah so not sure whether that's um 
something that has actually been talked about before, if that's just like an assumption that I'm making. But um, it would make a lot of sense if if this was kind of written as more of a like cutaway, probably specifically between Huey and Louis, because Dewey's one yeah. is very well saved for Dewey's the end. One, Dewey's one is best saved for the end, and it's also as you were talking about like that, I was just thinking about how Dewey's one flows so continuously that you really wouldn't be able to cut yeah, from it. Yeah, exactly. It all whereas goes this, all at once. The, whereas this, the Huey and Louis one, there is a lot more, because both of them have montages in them, it would be a lot easier yeah. to cut between. Like, there's a lot more moments where you could go and check out what the other brother is doing. But it does also make sense yeah. in, in, this, in the structure of the episode to do it as uninterrupted uh, segments um mm-hmm. kind of just as a way of like directly being like yes here is just Huey here just Louis here just you as like a direct yeah yeah they're only brothers now um rather than yeah. having that interconnectedness so um it's so yeah it does really mm. isolate them in a way that is yeah. thematic to the episode and also uh it's a structure that we're going to see again in Split Sword of Swamp's Nateen, which is again about pairing off the kids and having no interaction between them Yes. And having the and having that like that lack of interaction kind of affect them. Mm. Um, so again, like it's obviously an episode structure that makes a lot of sense. Um, it works really well thematically. Um, it obviously had this like slight side effect for me, um, but it really doesn't harm the episode. Yeah. Um, so the actual segment that we get for Huey <laughs> um, is uh, him being fucking suicidal because Lanchevat has told him that he's not allowed to go on the cookout without a group. Um, and I can really relate to Huey being really upset at the prospect of not being able to pr- not being allowed to participate and missing out on an achievement. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I when like when he like kind of realizes that like he's not going to get his badge, he's not allowed to go on the cookout at all. Like it's like not being able to go on a field trip because like your yeah. parent didn't sign a permission slip. Like, yeah, like it's you really not your feel fault. For him. Yeah, like it's it's yeah. not it's not Huey's fault. He really was excited to do this, and he's like, you know, he's he's like a good junior woodchuck. It's just that his his brothers decided to pick, or that Dewey specifically decided to pick this day of all days to flake out on him. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, he, so he's really upset about that. Um, and uh, we we also get this reveal that Launchpad is uh, is the junior woodchuck troop leader, which is cute. <laughs> Um, uh, but I we do really, I think we, re- I think we really narrowly avoided a fucking like community glee club ass like reveal that Launchpad has murdered all the other leaders in a bus <laughs> crash <laughs> because it feels it literally feels like a last minute cop out that it's like oh I crashed the bus with all the other troop leaders in it and they were so mad that they quit wing wing <laughs> and not I killed the other troop leaders. <laughs> he literally could have just said oh, I crashed the bus during a camping trip and so I was the only leader. It, like, it really feels like a last-minute script change to be like, oh, hang on, this is really dark. <laughs> yeah, Launchpad is not a murderer. Launchpad's not a murderer. Launchpad. Even though he comes so close to being a murderer many, many times. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of just, like, pulling pulling it back into line with Launchpad's, Launchpad's um uh, abilities, which he, he can crash anything, but he, like, doesn't kill anybody. Um, yeah. So it would uh, it would be out of character yeah. for him to cause like a to, to cause an accident that had that had lives um you know that had a body count so uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could just like when he says that line though I can just see it I can see I can see the version can, of that line you can where see he killed the, the original draft of the script it's so <laughs> yeah. it's so vivid it's right there yeah 
I also really like his bad tent. The whole time he's like <laughs> yeah. fucking nailing this like piece of fabric to the ground. It's shiny. It looks like shit. Like it's he's he's not he's not good. Anyway, it's terrible. It sucks. Um, and we obviously get like this little sad little uh, sad little bit of like Huey kind of very dejectedly going through like the forest and passing by all the other trios, all the other groups. Um, which is obviously like the narrative purpose is to highlight that like Huey really needs to is really supposed to be in a group for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it really just kind of highlight like he's very isolated within the woodchucks. He doesn't have friends here. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, and it's 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 something that's really interesting. This kind of comes back um in way 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 yeah way later episodes in Asteroid Void where um he can, he seems to be bullied within this like Boy Scout organization. Um, yeah, that he really likes. Yeah. Like, he really, really likes it, but he doesn't have friends there. Yeah, he likes the organization, really, not the people in it. Which is really sad, because this is, like, a huge part of his identity. He loves being a junior woodchuck. Like, he carries the book around with him wherever he goes, he quotes the rules, he kind of lives by this, but the actual, like, social environment of the woodchucks is not good. People are really mean to him. Yeah. He do- and, like... He just like doesn't really seem to have friends. Like he's very lonely. Yeah, um, and like obviously that which, works in kind of it's kind of like a cartoon way of doing it, where it's like the main like the main cast is the really only the important characters. So it doesn't make sense, especially at this early point, for Huey to have friends yeah. outside of his brothers in like in a narrative sense. But it's also real. It's quite sad seeing this like ten year old boy dejectedly walk around like the campsite and just like have nobody to talk to. And nobody like acknowledges yeah. him or anything. I know it's so sad. Um, so it is cute. It is, it is cute. The launch pad is the, the troop leader, though. Like it is cute that like he like he is friends with the troop. He leader. has a friend. Like, he has, he has he's one got a friend. friend there. He has one friend, and it's the but adult it, troop leader. But it's also it's also very reminiscent of like on the on the being on the field trip and being like paired up with the teacher as a boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh. Poor Huey. Huey. Um, but yes, the bigger so boys. The, big, the bigger boys are spying on the camping trip because Big Time has decided that it's easier to kidnap the kids one by one. Um, Bouncer kind of points out that Ma doesn't actually want them to kidnap the kids at all. <laughs> like She's told them so many times, don't kidnap the kids, it's way too much trouble, don't do it, don't, don't do it. Um, but Big Time is bossy and mean and he really, really wants uh, to kind of prove himself to Ma and get some glory. Uh, so he wants to kidnap this child. While he's all sad and alone. Um, Normal. Meanwhile, in a very, very cute scene, Huey's trying to prove to Launchpad that he can do the cookout alone. Uh, and he tries to prove that by pushing a log. Um, <laughs> and he's like squeaking. Like, you can hear those squeaks. And Launchpad is looking at him, like, <laughs> looking at him like the way you would look at a kitten falling over. Like, <laughs> Like I've never seen that look on Launchpad before. I don't think he's ever like pitied anyone before. <laughs> it's a completely foreign emotion to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Um, and that's very sweet. And then he immediately undercuts that sweet moment by handing Huey off to two obviously adult strangers <laughs> pretending to be children. <laughs> the this is like I do I do like the um the the like the cartoon trope of like the disguise that's very like. That you see through instantly, and I like that it fools nobody except Launchpad. 
Um, Except Montage. Um, <laughs> and I really, really like Huey deciding to let it happen because it's the only way he's going to get his fucking badge and he's an insane person. So we have this one... scene of him looking looking between like the, the these very obvious criminals who he knows and going, possible death, definite badge. Possible death, definite badge. Definite badge, definite badge. <laughs> I this is This is a great kind of callback to his insane behavior in um mcmystery where he was like mm-hmm. yeah i'm fine like you know like i'm never gonna like throw a party as good as duckworth and like uh louis has to remind himself that yeah you'll also be dead <laughs> which is like kind of a recurring thing of huey putting um achievements both 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 literally in the sense of woodchuck uh, like achievement badges and just kind of like achievements um, and succeeding in general above literally above his own life because he is an insane yeah. little boy um yeah uh, we also get. We also it's get. It's okay another... if I get if I let myself get kidnapped by these very obvious adult men, as long as I get a badge. <laughs> <laughs> and we also get another Junior Woodchuck rule. Uh, we get Junior oh, Woodchuck yeah. rule four thirteen. Interesting number. Never speak. <laughs> never speak <laughs> with a fellow Woodchuck. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was evil of me to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I called on had a hope player last episode. I think you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you did say that, didn't you? I know. Uh, I was gonna cut it out, but I think I forgot. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, we're sorry, everybody. Oh, my mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I also, I, I mean, also like. I, I also like. As, um... I think it's fine as long as I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> we can't talk about who's stuck on this. We can't do this. We can't get into this. <laughs> um, I also like just like a little, a little like a. Uh... Detail in the scene is that Chewie has just spent like a you know twenty seconds trying to ineffectively move a giant log. Um, and then he grabs Launchpad by the hand and like drags him backwards. Um, like <laughs> uh, he has he has strength, but only so when he's not trying. It's very cute. But um, I just I just love this whole setup of like the, the obvious trap that Huey sees through instantly, but he still decides to walk directly into because he's like, well, I'll get the badge. <laughs> yep, it's very funny. He's um, an insane so- boy. We get this kind of uh, we get this kind of series of events where it's this is I'm just basically going to recap the base the entire montage here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is that Huey ends up spending the entire time on the cookout uh, teaching Bouncer and Burger how to kidnap him properly um, <laughs> using well executed woodchuck techniques and traps that always end up backfiring on big time and mortally wounding him. Um, because if he's going to get kidnapped, uh, he's going to get kidnapped properly. Um, very, very reminiscent of Webby wanting to get sacrificed properly. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so Huey, uh, being a good big brother and being much kinder and more patient with Bouncer and Burger than anyone else in their lives, um, <laughs> they kind of become loyal to him and try to impress him by kidnapping Big Time on his behalf. Um, a couple notes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is that uh, Big Time is physically abusive. Yeah. <laughs> big, big time is like is like an like an abusive brother. Like that's like his like how he has literally been cast in this episode. Um, like there's a like um Huey like goes to like pat uh Burger and Bouncer on the back and they like flinch away. It's like, hello, yeah. this is like hello? quite real for like a a kids cartoon. Having the, having this thing where like his arm is moving in slow motion and they're like cowering and he just pats yeah. them on the back. 
Um, it's like after it's after grim. big time having having fucking whacked them one earlier in the episode. Yeah, but um, whacked them whacked them so hard that they had to cut away to like some some birds like <laughs> flying out of a tree. Um, it's a that's lot. Grim. Like You're physically abusive, big like, time. Like not to analyze cartoon violence too heavily, but goddamn, <laughs> what the fuck? Um, and also uh, in between, kind of complaining about how disobedient and uninterested his brothers would have been on this trip, um, Huey teaches the boys about fairness. Yeah, um, about about what is fair. Oh, I think it's I think it's cute that like the entire time he's kind of comparing. Uh, bouncer and burger to like you know my my brothers would never have like taken me seriously or listened to what I had to say <laughs> followed my instructions or been interested or tried <laughs> um, and then uh, I also wanted to note that uh, apparently this was uh, Frank fulfilling his Beagle Boy headcanons um, by making Bouncer a talented, talented cook yeah. um, having him s- serve Huey a bowl of Junkyard stew. Junkyard stew. With a tiny stew. tin can and a twig in it. <laughs> <laughs> the classic kind of like cartoon garbage signifiers. Yeah. Um, which turns out to be really, really nice. Um, and here He's we got human in it. And he goes off to hang up the pot of stew to attract bears? <laughs> to, um, I think, I think the intention is to keep it away from bears. Um, to like keep it off the ground so bears can't get at it. I think is my oh. assumption as somebody who has uh. never been in any, any kind of scouting organization <laughs> or in any kind of serious camping uh, situation. Yeah. I was in the scouts, but I hated it so much. <laughs> um, and also we don't have bears in Ireland. So like... yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I feel like there is no sure equivalent here. Um, uh, we, we don't have bears in Australia. Uh, I'm trying to think of any kind of equivalent. The only thing that I could think of is one time when I went camping with my family and, um, we we <laughs> we left like a tray of potato bake like a few feet behind us, um, and we heard some rustling a little while later, and there was like a possum just eating the entire tray of potato bake. <laughs> so maybe maybe if we had hung it up, well, no possums can climb trees, so um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think hanging it up would have been that helpful. I don't know. I don't, I I my immediate for some like when I watched this, I was like, great, Huey wants to attract bears. Because he's like, all the bears in the forest are going to love this. And he goes and hangs it up. Like, why? <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, um, so it's, 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 about, it's about kind of like... Um, and I also think he, like, he goes and kind of like hangs up a little way away from the campsite. Um, yeah. Which is kind of like um, keeping bears away. But yeah, apparently you hang your food from like a tree limb that's at least like 10 feet off the ground. So it is keeping it out of reach of bears. Um, okay, I see. This, this, is, um, this is not like a bear trap that, <laughs> that you <laughs> are setting up here. Um, he does a uh, so he just he just wa- he just wander away from the camp anyway to do this. Um, and big time uh, comes up to to um bouncer and burger and he slaps the slaps the stew into their faces and he tells them you know what are you doing you got to kidnap this kid and they're saying no it's not fair because I've just learned about that concept. Um, and bouncer says we should ask Huey if he wants to be snatched first. <laughs> Oh, um, consent in kidnapping. <laughs> consent, consensual kidnapping. Um, 
So uh, they get into this argument um, and Huey comes back to find out that Bouncer and Burger have kidnapped Big Time and tied him to a branch of a very tall tree where he's absolutely going to die. And mm-hmm. Huey freaks the fuck out. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen him this upset. Like, he tries to like, he tries to, he's like trying to convince them not to kill their brother. So he's like trying to appeal to their sense of fraternity. Like, you know, don't kill him. He's your brother or whatever. And then they're like, you're our new brother now. We're never letting you go. And he's, and he's like, oh shit. So that's what you this get to be nice, Huey. This is, this episode is like, Huey and Louie encounter their own personal yandere's. Um... <laughs> I don't like that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry for saying that. But I had that in my notes for both Huey's section and Louis' section. Because they do both. They do both get taken as possessions. They do, um, they do both get kind of taken as um. Oh, you're our brother. We'll 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 kill our old brother. He was threatening you. Yeah. You're our new. You're new big time. You're big yeah. Huey. And then and then he dies. He goes. He goes out to a in a, in a series of events where he's like frustrated by like how he kind of starts like wishing that he had his actual brothers back because they're mm-hmm. too competent now. <laughs> like they t- tied a knot really good, and he's like, "Fucking Dewey would would have tied this like shit." Oh, he's so mad. <laughs> uh, he can't untie. He can't untie big time, and like they start chopping down the tree and then climbing up the tree, and they send it like toppling down, and Huey dies. Yeah, um, and that's that's the and- that's the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of Huey's segment. It's over because he's dead and he's never coming back. Um, um, moving on to our surviving I, I, brothers. <laughs> I, do, I do just want to say something, um, just to make a yeah. note here, which is that at the start of Huey's segment, he he's, he says he wishes that his brothers would just blindly listen to him just once. And now at the end of his segment, yeah. he says, please don't blindly listen to me. So it's kind of the first yeah. uh, direct like recanting of a wish um, which occurs in this episode, which is kind of the theme yeah. of the episode is... um wanting things to be different and then realizing oh shit this kind of sucks actually i take it back um like huey huey um monkey's poor wishing for two competent brothers and then they're too competent and they also want yeah. to murder but this um, also might be um also might be the first bit of uh of character development for huey that is actually stuck that he hasn't managed to outrun <laughs> usually <laughs> usually he kind of dodges it um and gets away with continuing on exactly as he was mm-hmm. um but moving on, uh, Louis side, he is on the way to Doofus Drake's house, uh, dressed in his cute little green jacket, which is the same one that Gladstone got him in House of the Lucky Gander. But that mm. outfit disappeared when the kes- when the casino collapsed. So uh, my own my only conclusion is that he liked it so much he got a new one. I love this. I love this so much. <laughs> he got a new one. He, he liked he liked to see Gladstone got him so much that he got his own. <laughs> I I loved Aww. I like to think that like um House of the Lucky Gander just kind of kickstarted Louis' suit obsession because he has he has like three I think was it three separate suits that he like owns and wears. When, when I was uh, noting this episode, I kept I made a, I made like a counter of all the all the suits that I've seen that I've seen Louis. Louis has a white suit in McMystery, which is very cute. It also has, mm-hmm. hasn't showed up since. Um, in in Glad- House of Lucky Gander. Happy birthday, Doofus Drake, and uh, Day of the Only Child. He is wearing the same like green suit jacket over a white shirt and a blue tie. And mm-hmm. has to look yander. The tie is like cyan, and now it's like kind of more close, closer to navy. So the kind of 
exact blue of the tie kind of changes. Yeah. Um, and uh, in uh, in the Golden Lagoon of White Agony Plains, which is another upcoming episode, um, he is wearing the like cheap, plastically shitty tux that that Scrooge got that gets them. <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, but like I was, I was noting this about Louis' suit obsession. He he also wears like a little green dress shirt and a little black tie in uh, mm-hmm. Richest Duck in the World, mm-hmm. um, and a zipper putty over it, which is cute. Anyway, um, but uh, when I was noting Louis' suit obsession, uh, it just made me really happy, and it also makes it funnier when he complains about like the cheap shitty tucks that Scrooge gets them in Golden Moon, <laughs> yeah. um, because like, he's a connoisseur. <laughs> he just needs this garbage. He's been to the tailor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he knows better than this. Um. So like basically, 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 the takeaway is that uh, Gladstone is Louis' favorite uncle. He loves him very much, and he absolutely loves the suit that he got. So he got a yeah. new one, and he wears it whenever he goes to do for strikes. Um, it's really cute. Makes me really happy. Um, so he makes his way to do for strikes house, which is right by the mansion. Apparently, they're neighbors. They're neighbors. Um, uh, he introduces himself as Scrooge McDuck's sole heir, only to find that the mansion he's arrived at is actually just the servants' quarters. Uh, Doofus lives in an enormous treehouse that's built out of the top. Um, it's very, um, he's... very codenamed Kids Nest, Kids Next Door. Um, yes, right. Um, yeah, I, feel like I, I was watching this and I was like, it looks, it literally looks exactly like the like the Kids Next Door treehouse, which I was really obsessed with as a kid. Um, I oh like, yeah. I think I think every kid who watched that show like desperately wanted to live in like a big treehouse where you like had like your own like you know. Did you like, drag own, like... a rotting plank up into a tree and sit on it? No, we didn't have any good trees for treehouses in my backyard. Oh, I did. Um, my dad, my dad, when I was younger, promised we had like an old like a uh, like birdhouse like aviary kind of thing in our backyard that was just like completely like fucked up. And like dad promised at one point to make it into a tree like a quote unquote treehouse that was like not actually attached to a tree, but that that never happened. Um, unfortunately, and now um, uh, the, I think I'm past the uh the the point where um a treehouse is a, you know, a viable option for me. So I'm just going to be continually mourning <laughs> that yeah. lost opportunity in my childhood. Yeah, I always wanted a treehouse. I thought like it was just one of those things. There was two things that I wanted desperately as a child. One of them was a hammock, um, which I always tried to like set up on my own. <laughs> <laughs> and like almost kill myself <laughs> and the other was a treehouse um for some reason i thought that if i had either of those things everything would be perfect i um, mean hammocks are pretty good not gonna lie i did have a yeah. we did have a hammock at, at um when i was a kid i mean still have a hammock it didn't go anywhere but <laughs> <laughs> it didn't die tragically but um i, I have very fun memories it went to the bottom farm <laughs> But um, no, I, th- I think I think that hammocks and tree houses. I think I think you have the right idea. I think hammocks and tree houses are like all you need for a happy life. Um, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I we just had like we had like trees, so I'd like climb trees and sit in trees. But like, yeah. it's not as good as having a tree house. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh, anyway. So. Uh. He's like when we we kind of see like when he's uh standing when he's like talking to uh the butler who answers the door, um. He's kind of like put off by the there's like this bro this like shattered pillar by the door, um, which we're gonna see later is a byproduct of Doofus's bouts of willful destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's kind of a little bit of a precursor there. Um, but he's brought up to the tree treehouse, um, and it's like a playground basically where 
basically what you would get if every single childish whim that you ever had was catered to. Yeah. Um, uh, Louis, Louis, pretty, pretty awestruck, but uh, the butler kind of gives Louis a cryptic warning, um, which is that like Master Jufus gets everything he wants, everything, <laughs> and then he, uh, and then he flees, leaves him alone with uh, the quietly off-putting Doofus Drake. Um, we get an absolutely insane sequence where, <laughs> after screaming at him. <laughs> Doofus pulls his trousers open and stares inside. <laughs> Louis tries desperately to call the elevator. He's pounding on the button. Doofus pulls out a golden bracelet from his trousers and gifts it to him as a friend present. Um, the fucking, the fucking, like, the, the sequence where it's just Doofus staring into his trousers <laughs> and Louis at the opposite side of the room terrified hammering, hammering, <laughs> hammering on the elevator button is fucking hilarious I have no idea how it got into the cartoon <laughs> oh, I just I, I love Doofus I love the, the Doofus Drake kind of uh kind of a genre of humor like the very specific kind of thing they fall into with Doofus Drake is very funny to me uh-huh um they, they it, it's amazing um I think the best example of it is in Happy Birthday Doofus Drake there's a bit where uh Doofus goes for a swim and he's like he's like um what's the word he's on his back and he's like you know paddling mm-hmm. um around in circles and the entire time he's going he's making this noise everybody is just watching and, like really creeped out oh i just it, it's very funny very weird um <sighs> They get to go into really like uncanny valley humor with Doofus, uh, which is really yes. fun. Um, so Louis kind of mollified by the gift, like his his, re- his he kind of puts aside his reservations about Doofus, um, because it's gold, um, and he and he plays with them for a while uh, in a in a fun little montage where he seems to be actually enjoying himself. Yeah, that's mostly because of like how genuinely like enjoyable the activities are rather than yeah. any kind of enjoyment derived from being with Doofus um, yeah. because he uh, finds him very very creepy um, yeah. <laughs> there is a bit where they like they do all these activities you're like jumping around on like trampolines and then they're like sticking to like the velcro ceiling and then they go like hang gliding in this massive like cotton candy it machine. is not I uh, hold on I'm gonna correct you it's not hang gliding they're wearing wingsuits Excuse Sorry. me. How Sorry. dare you? <laughs> Sorry, they're just regular gliding, I guess. <laughs> Facts checking you on DuckTales. <laughs> Sorry. 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 <laughs> um, so they're doing all this like cool stuff. Um, and there's a very, very cute bit where Louis is taking photos in like this little photo booth. Um, and the first photo is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Oh. He's making this, this little face. It's very cute. He's sticking his he's sticking his tongue out. He's sticking his um 
his human tongue out, interestingly. Just to... I'm a defender. I'm a defender <laughs> of the human tongue. I am not anti-human tongue. Okay, so for, for, for context, the ducks on ducktails, as you've probably noticed, have like their little like pointy duck tongues, like their little triangle tongues. Um, in this specific like photo of Louis, he has like a round human tongue. And I think it also happens like one other time in in one of the Dewey Unite shorts. Um, yeah, and it's very, it's only a few frames. Yeah, it's like um, a very short thing. And it's it, it's both in the context of them kind of doing like, like tongue sticking out, like cute smiling faces. Like it's a very, um, it's very much like a, for the effect of like the expression. It's not, yeah, and it's, it, it's something that would like be very easily overlooked, I would imagine. It's just very funny to me to see them with like human tongues, especially as, um, one of my other kind of like uh, tangentially related to this, one of my like, like like strange observations that i've noticed while um rereading uh dangerous currency the uh the controversial ducktales and darkwing mm-hmm. duck comics crossover is that um Last it's very funny to see <laughs> exactly exactly the last time dimwitty Dim was seen um it's very funny to see the the slightly differing styles of ducks in darkwing duck and ducktales where there's like oh yeah, like, Darkwing Duck goes very into the human tongue. Yeah, Darkwing Duck every every single duck in Darkwing Duck has a human tongue, and they also f- like kind of forego the like pale blue eye eyes that Ducktales has. Um, oh yeah, which has kind of like been uh, thrown out completely in the reboot. But it's just very interesting to see like in the, in the comic to see like you know like Drake or like or Goslin like talking to another duck, and one of them has a human tongue and one of them has a pointy duck tongue. Very funny to see them like interacting like that. And it's just something about yeah. seeing like the human tongues in in the reboot is just very, very funny. I don't know. It, I don't have any thoughts on it. And I don't think it's like you know an animation error per se because it's just like a couple frames and it's like it, it works smile. for the it expression and it's very cute. Um, like I don't have an issue with it. It's just like a little detail that I pointed that I, that I pointed it's out. Very cute. I feel like I feel like it should be entirely situational. I think. The, oh yeah, one hundred percent. The human tongues are very very cute for like. That kind of emoticon type face with the tongue. Yeah, like a, like a like a like a like a colon p. That's that's like yeah for like a for like cute faces. And then the yeah. the pointy tongues are really really funny when they're used for like freakish behavior, like <laughs> licking things, trait, <laughs> licking unidentified stain trait. Um, so yeah, I think it it can be the pointy duck tongue can be very funny. Um, so. He takes some very cute photos, but he re- notices in the last one that Doofus is like sidled into the photo booth and is sniffing his hair. <laughs> um, uh, so Doofus kind of picks up on his discomfort um, and brings him down to the servants' quarters to a room filled with priceless artifacts, uh, where he goes to quote blow off steam. Mm. Um, there is art history degree here. Um, Who are you recognizing a Stradivarius violin um, <laughs> and knowing what it's worth? What identifying a by sight um, by sight very interesting. Um, I think I think Louis just like up on like valuable like like items like valuable antiques and stuff like that. It's a character trait that he would um he would definitely I have. Think that Louis has a stash somewhere in the room of auction catalogs. <gasps> yes. <laughs> oh yes. I think this is true, and I think he watches. I think he watches Antiques Roadshow religiously. Oh my god, he does! <laughs> oh, he does, and he always guesses. Like he always like guesses how much it's worth. Also, he's really, really yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's really good at like seeing some, when it's. Whenever he's some really old woman comes like in with like 
a like a filthy like china doll or something and they're like this is worth one million billion pounds and he's like <laughs> like he goes apeshit he, he he watches antiques roadshow and then like he like like goes through like like their bedroom and like looks for like old toys and stuff and he's like oh, fucking nothing valuable in here was the point <laughs> yeah. um and also uh, an interesting kind of an interesting little tidbit here which is um that the the violin is worth more than every house uncle donald has ever owned how many I houses noted that. i thought how many houses has, has donald owned i don't know i imagine he probably like i imagine it's not so much houses that he's owned or as like places he's lived in uh, one of the ducktales 2017 comics um for a while uh donald got a job uh as like a lighthouse keeper and he had to move the kids mm-hmm. into the lighthouse mm-hmm. so it kind of seems like um like moving around for donald's jobs in like various yeah. kind of like grotty places is kind of yeah. had kind of been like a regular for the kids up to the point um until like they got like the houseboat yes. um so it really just seemed like uh like Dom's probably lived in a lot of places with them that they mm. moved around a lot when they were when they were younger. Yeah. Um, so I just thought it was interesting that uh, that's how he immediately kind of relates that amount of money to his own life. Yeah. Um, that's how he sees it. Uh, interesting. It's interesting. It's very 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 illuminating into in, mm. into kind of how he how he, how he's viewed his childhood thus far and 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 what wealth kind of means to him. Um yeah. Um so so Doofus reveals that uh, all these priceless artifacts are just here for him to smash. Yep. Um that when he gets up when he go, needs to blow off steam, he just goes in and he breaks priceless artifacts with impunity um and louis is at first uh very kind of put off by this because he's like oh my god you just lost so much money um then he realizes that true wealth is not caring what people what people think because they can't stop you anyway you're too rich um (laughs) which is a very funny lesson for louis to learn yeah um And the two of them go on a kind of gleeful destruction spree and another little montage, um, smashing Price's artwork as they see fit. Um, the spree comes to an abrupt end, however, when Louis turns on a portrait of an old woman with fat stacks. <laughs> <laughs> you can't destroy that, Louis. That's Gamimama. 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 Um, Doofus flips, tackles Louis, yells at him and at the servants, and is like shaking with rage. He calls him a, I think he calls him an impudent brat. Mm-hmm. Um, Some projection re- happening there. <laughs> really, really mad, like really mad. Um, and he basically explains that that is uh, his gimme mama Francis, his dear deceased grandmother, who uh, died and left the entirety of her fortune to him, not in a trust fund or anything. Just all of that money for him to access and spend however he wanted, which is how he got to this point. Yes. Um, uh, so uh, while Doofus is throwing a tantrum over that, uh, Louis, very, very shaken, very, very, very upset, kind of sidles up to uh, to like the butler and the maid uh, to talk to them. And he's, we get this extremely fucking funny exchange <laughs> where Louis says verbatim, one th- verbatim, all one line. So you're his butler, huh? My butler's a ghost. Yep. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and the maid responds 
we're dead inside. We're Doofus's parents. <laughs> I like no. <laughs> I am obsessed with Louis's this like icebreaker. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're a butler, huh? My butler's a dead. ghost. <laughs> oh my butler, god, he's dead. You're not dead though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean you're both butlers, but you're not both dead. How about that? That's kind of crazy, huh? <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, he's dead. Oh, it's crazy. My a ghost. Yep. Yeah, he's dead. Um, but so, um, uh, but yeah. So we get we kind of get like Doofus's like backstory, which is that he's like been spoiled with nobody really to tell him no which is like a very like direct kind of uh refutation of louis dream which is that oh if he's an only child nobody can tell him no so he's kind of setting yeah. up it's kind of setting up doofus as like the uh the worst possible scenario like the the bad end for louis which is which yeah. is left to left to his own devices um with infinite money and power at his disposal and no parents no family to tell him yeah. not to do something, he will just become just like, just like, a sociopathic, uh, terrible, like, you know, a monster, a villain. Um, yeah. Um, and and then I'm sorry to say we have our second yandere moment of the episode. <laughs> oh dear. So uh, the Doofus's mother try uh, tells 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 him to escape while he still can. And he needs to get out of here. Uh, he tries to heed her warning um, and escape, but Doofus catches him. Uh, where are you going? <laughs> Let's play some more. Um, uh, he kind of tries to talk his way into going home, but only to find that his generously gifted bracelet is actually remote con- is actually remote controlled, um, and he's trapped. You are home, friend. Present. <laughs> oh, um, Doofus Drake is such like a fantastic, like creepy, like uncomfortable villain like yeah the fact uh, that the fact that louis was the friend present the whole time is so yes. <laughs> creepy uh i i just i i just love i just love this this uh the specific type of joke that that uh the specific kind of humor that arises with doofus um i think it's so funny yeah uh, so we get like these and especially because it's like it's louis like who's like bouncing off him in these scenes uh who works so well with the morbidity um uh because it, it's just it's just fantastic um so louis immediately wants only child day to be over he wants <laughs> brothers again because he needs help um he's now a psychopath's plaything. <laughs> Um, he kind of tries to recruit the parents for for help and an escape attempt, uh, but the father immediately betrays him. You know, <laughs> a small child, um, in a desperate attempt to curry favor with his evil son. <laughs> I do um, like it, just like a a, a a little point, which is that Louis is very um, very uh, deliberate about if the three of us work together, we might be able to get out of here. Yes. Which is like, yeah, he's yeah. used to working in a trio. He yeah. needs his brothers. He's a triplet. He needs his brothers. Um, yeah. I, I I love I love Mr. Drake just like instantly being like the new one was, the new one was gonna betray you but I told you aren't I good don't you love me yeah. <laughs> and, and the mother turns to him and goes God you're, you're pathetic pathetic <laughs> their doofus parents are so fucking funny I love they're them. like hilarious um. So uh, we get this. We get the, another incredible, incredible scene. I have no idea how it made it into the episode where uh, Doofus goes up to Louis um, 
and says that, you know, he's very upset and that he needs to punish him and teach him a lesson. So he gets a bag out and he pulls out an umbrella and a bag of walnuts. (laughs) (laughs) What's he going to do with the umbrella and walnuts? It's a really good kind of like set up to like what like it's like the classic thing it's like two just like 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 it's like a, a setting up like a, a scenario that never gets followed through on and like the threat of um mm. the implied threat is 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 what is more threatening than the actual eventuality but of course the comedy here is what the fuck is he gonna do with an umbrella and a back of walnuts <laughs> yeah what was he gonna do with what was he gonna walnuts? do <laughs> what could he possibly have done with an umbrella and walnuts <laughs> Um, but at that moment, however, a tree bursts through the roof and Huey and the Beagle Boys crash in. We get a, such a cute scene. Where it Huey is immediately so cute. Goes, Louis! And he dives in and hugs him and Louis hu- Louis's hugging him and he yells, I'm safe! It's so cute. He sees his big brother and he's like, oh, I'm safe now. I'm oh. safe. Um, but then they realise, hang on, they have Doofus and the Beagle Boys to deal with. Um because uh, they are not they are not going to let them go this easy. Uh, we also get an extremely funny detail. Uh, it, like, camera pans out, like, uh, Louis hugging Huey, and uh, Bouncer is hugging both of them, and then Doofus <laughs> is also hugging them. Like, they're all just kind of holding on to him in a very creepy way. And then the fucking butler father, like, staring <laughs> off into like, space, like, kind like, of, like, latches in. onto the side. <laughs> he, like, leans in. <laughs> He just like just desperately, desperately trying to like ingratiate himself with his son is so funny. <laughs> it's so funny the way he like leans in and like he just kind of like um like 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 pats him on like pats him like pats like bouncer on the arm and he's like got like this thousand years the thousand yard stare. <laughs> oh, it's really good. Oh, uh, it's so good. I lo- I love the existential horror. This the absolute the absolute misery of uh, of of the drink of the drink's existence. Um, it's extremely funny. Um, and then we have Dewey time. It's Dewey uh, time. Dewey time. He is covertly gathering supplies. Um, and he's being kind of trailed around by the security bot, uh, which is kind of irritating him more and more. Um. He locks himself in his room and locks the security bot out, um, revealing that his dark secret, the thing he needed only child age to do, the thing his brothers can never know about, is his online talk show. <laughs> it's do we do night, baby. Do we do night. Do we do night. It's so cute. It's so, so cute. It's of course, of course, he has his own ta- his own imaginary talk show, um, with the Jew Crew house band with Dewey and the guitar and the black glasses. He looks really cute there, um, and and he's like him not thinking at all about like editing it together. So yeah. he's just running back and forth in real time <laughs> to do all the bits. He's so like earnestly cute and real it's and so very cute. ten years old. Oh, all of like yeah. everything about Dewey Junite is t- perfect to me. It is. It's so flawless. adorable. It is like and his cardboard, and I just wanted to note that his cardboard audience, being Webby, Scrooge, Donald Beakley, and Launchpad, is so cute. Like, yeah, it's his, he 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 could have just made like a cardboard audience, but he made it his family to support yeah. his fantasy talk show. That they would all be clapping and laughing if they were there. 
It's um, so cute. It is so, so cute. It's like, I also like this kind of like, um, uh, like in the, like the quote unquote intro sequence, there's like, he can just kind of like photos like, uh, scrolling across the screen and he, there's like ones where he's like taking photos like with the cardboard cutouts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. It's so, so cute. And, it's uh, so cute. There's also a photo of you and Huey being chased by Webby who is wearing like a scary mask and has a mace. So, um. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I love it so much. I I love it so much because also, uh, in like when he's like presenting, uh, the like talk show segments and like talking to the camera, like obviously he's very he's very smooth. Like he's like very affable. He's got like a very good persona <laughs> going. But also when he like flounders and realizes that he like doesn't know what to do next, um, relatable podcast feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I had oh. a moment where I was like, "Oh my god!" Um, and I also just this is just to us. That, uh, if you think about it, it was a possible uh, a possible community reference where he goes, uh, mm-hmm. "Cool, cool, cool, cool." Yes, yes, yes. I wrote that down as well. I wrote, I wrote that down. Yeah. I, I, I deliberately choose to believe that this is a uh, community reference, just like the gas leak joke from Terrifyians. Um, I yeah. this. I mean, it, it could like. It's not like community is the only the only show or the only person to ever do like the cool 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 thing, but I think it's true. But I'm given, believing it. Given Danny, po- given that was Danny Pudi's catchphrase. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Much um, more likely than not, I think. Yeah, um, Ben Schwartz's delivery on like Ben Schwartz on this entire segment is fucking incredible. He's so good because it's like, it's just him. Unbelievable. It is just him playing off just, himself. It is. It is a power. It's like a powerhouse. It's incredible. Like. I there's no way that we can like describe this scene that will do it that this this like segment that will do it justice and also like you have to you have to watch the Dude Unite segment on its own it's hilarious it's so cute it's it is so, perfect. so good but as well as that um on the Disney YouTube channel there are uh, all of the other Dude Unites that he's mm-hmm. recorded um which have kind of a rough chronology as it's him getting again another very feeling him getting increasingly upset about the amount of likes on his videos (laughs) (laughs) relatable uh relatable podcast moment yeah but it's so funny they're like they're genuinely like the thing about the shorts is that some of them are kind of like um like required by like as part of like a greater programming push or whatever like mm-hmm. every character in whatever has to do this type of video where they react to another tv show or they list 30 things that they like or whatever and it's all very kind of rote um and it's there's not really much special about it and there's a specific animation style that comes in some of those shorts which is very like yes i've definitely noticed that very like highly tweened like we are yeah. animating with symbols stuff which uh, looks very stiff and very lifeless um which I, I just think, like, looks especially bad because it's paired with this very energetic voice acting that just makes like makes it seem really a lot worse than it is. Yeah. Um, but some of the shorts are, like, really, really well animated, really beautifully put together, and the Juju Nights shorts are one of them. Um, if you're going to watch the shorts, I would say watch the Juju Nights shorts, preferably in order, and watch The World's Longest Death Trap, which is so cute. World's Longest Death Trap is awesome. I love World's Longest Death Trap. <laughs> It's genuinely so so cute. There's like, this the, Dewey Dewey especially is very very cute in that. Um, 
<laughs> like just like Julian Webby's like dynamic there is is very 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 sweet. Um, they have like this they have these really great interactions. Uh, Rose Rose Longest Death Trap is very very cute. Um, there's also a really good bit where uh, uh, Webby kind of grabs Louis's phone off him and throws it up to Launchpad to get his attention, and they like. <laughs> They're like yelling up to him, but he's holding the phone, so he holds it up to his ear. And they're like screaming, "Launchpad, launchpad!" And he goes, "This is he." <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Oh. Um. So back to back in Jewish Unite. <laughs> um. He's kind of he's kind of doing doing his talk show, but he flounders when he realizes that having kicked everyone out, he has nobody to interview on the show. Um. So he kind of scrambles to scrambles to make up some guests. Um, and he uh, grabs a uh, an old toy robot, which will actually show up again, and nothing can stop Della Duck as a stand-in for the Gilded Man, in which mm-hmm. he will be tragically lost to R.I.P. Um, and uh, and he grabs one of Huey's old caps uh, to make Huey as a guest. Um, his impression of Huey consists of doing a robot voice, checking the JWG for an appropriate response to a question, then saying, "Hey, Huey, thanks for having me," which is brutal. Absolutely vicious takedown. Look, look, and not unfair. (laughs) We might have to go a little bit insane here because he also uh, he asks he asks Huey how he's dealing with uh, with only child day, and he responds to his own question: "I fear it deeply. Being a triplet is a way of life. Things are better in threes, threes, threes." Which Mm -hmm. made me think very, a very that's very compulsive thing to do there putting the mm-hmm. having the having the repetition of three is um interesting bit interesting um, there's um but it's also it, it's also Dewey's very accurate insight into you into Huey's yeah, thought process this is, here. this is like this is like um like it's it's really mean obviously it is very much like making fun of his brother but it's also kind of like putting putting Dewey's like like perception skills on show where he like he's very accurately perceiving um Huey's thought processes and Huey's feelings about only child day um and yeah. he's he's like you know he's he's perceiving this completely correctly um but he's yeah. still this is stupid like <laughs> <laughs> he's like weird that's so weird <laughs> it's very very funny but then we get this very cute bit where uh, he's a uh... He, he's asking the, he's asking the thing questions and every time the answer comes he goes dun dun and zooms in <laughs> so funny uh, it's like, it, it, me hooting it, 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 it devolves into the classic like um, tricking a robot into like you know saying it's a robot saying and then, it's like overlo- robot, yeah. overloading it's like circuits and it turns evil um, I, yeah. I do like that Dewey's very normal talk show, which is sensibly just started off as just interviewing his quote unquote brother, just devolves into robot violence with zero provocation. Like it's so <laughs> funny because he just he just immediately gets distracted and starts playing. Like he's just playing. It's really he's just cute. playing. He's just playing with a toy robot. Um, he, literally, he literally just is. But then he's like realizes he needs another guest, so he grabs a lamp and one of Louis's hoodies <laughs> to make Louis complete with one of the funniest voices I have ever heard from Ben Schwartz. Ben Schwartz as Bobby Moynihan as Louis is fucking impeccable. I'm obsessed with how he says "ha oh boy." <laughs> it's, it's so funny. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't even do it. It's so fucking funny. It's so funny. So like so the specific way that he does the specific <laughs> like way. <laughs> <that voice. laughs> 
<laughs> the way that he like pitches his voice up, I'm just mostly obsessed with the way that he does like a oh boy with like a with like a some kind of like hard consonants in there, which is not what Louis says. Louis does like a who oh boy. Um, it's yeah, just so oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> but he's like his entire voice for Louis is like he's like this like like, like yeah. weird little like. It sounds like a new Muppet. <sighs> it's so funny. It's like, it's actually the funniest voice I've ever heard. Oh. Um, and again, it also pretty much immediately devolves into playing. Um, yes. But he does have, uh, he does have stand-in Louis tell him he's no forgettable middle child. Uh, he's, the, <sighs> he's the glue that holds them together. Um, uh, and then all the, unfortunately, um, because he is just like playing at that point, like he's like, "Oh, Louis, help me! The robots attacking!" <laughs> he's like, he's like kind of rolling around on the desk with the toys, like just like <laughs> fully playing. It's, it's so, so, so cute. cute. It's so um, cute. But like I, um... the security bot standing outside over here is all this talk about attacking robots, and uh, you know, it's like, oh shit, robots. I um I do just like that um. In the in in Dew, even in Dewey's fantasy where he is like a late night talk show host, the only guests that he can think of are his brothers. I do like yeah. that a lot. It's really cute that he can't come up with like you know he could be like pretending to interview like a celebrity, like he could yeah. be pretending to interview anybody in the world, but he's like, oh, um, I need to do like a fake interview with somebody interesting on my talk show. I'll do my two brothers who I love so much. Yeah, and he literally goes, I need someone, and his first thought is, my brothers. It's really cute. And I also love- you can always turn to when he needs help. I also love when the security bot busts in and he has to escape. He he takes Huey and Louie with him. (laughs) I know, I wrote that down too, is that he brings his quote-unquote brothers with him. (laughs) And he carries them like they're people as well. Yeah, he brings the lamp and the robot, and like he like grabs them, like he like deliberately like- takes them with yeah. him. It's not like he was like, you know, it's like just happened to be holding them. Like he goes out of his way to like rescue them. <laughs> yeah. Oh Dewey. Oh Dewey. He's so cute. And he's like try he like he like he runs into the into the hall closet um and he hides there and he asks Huey and Louie for help, but they're not really there. So he gets a very funny exchange where he's like, Huey, you gotta come up with a plan and Huey bot is like it's like I'm I'm just an extension of you. You don't have a plan, so I don't have a plan and he's like, Oh no. Louie, can you talk your way out of it? And Louie's like, I'm also you <laughs> I'm I I really like the joke. Yeah, just like in between like when he's like asking Huey for help and he's like and and Huey says, Well no, you don't have a plan, neither do I and so Dewey's like, I, I don't I don't need a plan, I'm self sufficient. Hey Louie <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> He's so funny. Uh, oh, um and the 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 DT eighty seven lasers the door open, um, and it kinda corners him and starts talking to him, but it's pretty clear that it's Webby in there because yeah. uh, it's talking about how uh, maybe he shouldn't have uh, pushed away his his brothers uh, when there are certain people out there nobody knew you know who would really like to have a sibling relationship like that. Um, oh, nobody you know, <laughs> nobody in particular. This is a hypothetical person. Yeah. Um, so First she's trying to teach Dewey, Dewey a lesson about rejecting his family um, because she wants a family like his so badly. Um, so badly, in fact, that she tore open an expensive security robot, ripped out a bunch of wires, and crawled inside. That's a good idea. Insane. Insane. Um, and uh, so, so, so 
Jira kind of comes out of the out of the hall closet to talk to talk to her, and she's like, and she's like, oh, so what were you up to in there? And he's like, nothing. And he goes to close the hall closet, but like Louis Lamp Louis is in there, and as he's closing the hall closet, he goes, Shinars. <laughs> that was really really good impression. That was really good. <laughs> he's like, shut up, Louis. It's so <laughs> funny. It's fucking deliriously funny. Um, so uh, Dewey and Webby are, are happy enough but then the robot having had its wires cut out uh, starts malfunctioning <laughs> Could yeah it's crazy <laughs> crazy that when you like um, mess with the insides of like an advanced security robot um, it might have unintended consequences hmm. yeah like uh, trying to murder you because it thinks you're intr- intruders who aren't complying just um, a thought Webby so- maybe this wasn't a smart idea <laughs> So they're tr- they're trying to get it they're trying to get it to st- to stop, but it's like obviously gonna laser them to death. Um, mm. So Dewey, uh, in classic Dewey fashion, just fucking tackles it, um, and it sends it flying out the window, and it goes down the hill uh, with him clinging on for dear life. I obviously like that. Because- I l- I like that Dewey yeah. gets to act out his earlier fantasy of fighting an evil robot. Um, yeah, it immediately comes true, and it immediately goes terribly. <laughs> it all comes around, baby. Mm. Um. So, obviously, because of the way that the episode is set up, uh, it delivers him right to the Drake's house. Um, and the arrival of a death robot uh, frees Huey and Louie from, ba- from Bouncer's clutches. Um, and they decide that they're brothers again, uh, so they can uh, kind of deal with uh, deal with the various threats. Um, so here, it like, really becomes clear that the issues that they've each run into on their own are ones that they could have been able to deal with had they had their brothers yes, with them which exactly. we obviously kind of saw already so with Huey it was like he wasn't he didn't really have like the social skills to be able to like manipulate or like convince like um B- Bouncer and Burger to not kidnap and kill their brother <laughs> um and he also didn't have like the directness to stand up to them um and stop them uh Likewise, Louis didn't have, uh, wasn't able to actually just stand up to Doofus. He kept trying to talk his way out of it, which obviously doesn't work. Um, and he also couldn't kind of come up with a way around this like technology that was keeping him trapped there or anything like that. Um, and of course, uh, Dewey can't rewire the fucking robot, <laughs> um, or figure out a way to convince it not to kill him. Um, so they all kind of needed needed their brother's skills, uh, and they each kind of needed one brother in particular. Um, so when they all kind of fight, um, Huey climbs into the robot and uses his crazy person powers to rewire it. Um, Huey has been a child prodigy this whole time, and nobody, nobody shit about it. Nobody though. talks about it. This is not, this is this is not this is not my original thought. This is a thought from Sim, friend of the show. Um, Huey is like an insane person. Huey has fucking like magical robot powers where he can just like reprogram this evil robot in literally five seconds. Like, and what's even worse is that he's gonna fucking rewire the processor of the Gizmo suit into Fenton's brain. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's ten. How do you, like, I, like, like, yes, okay, stepping back from this, it's a cartoon, it's not that deep, but can we just live in this fantasy for a moment, where Huey is just like, 
like the like the oh my god he is just like the fucking messiah of robotics he like touches this robot and it instantly bends to his will like he plugs in like a couple of wires and he's like oh i reprogrammed it now i can use it to shoot to shoot lasers at people what uh, 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 Huey Duck. So I love him so much. He's I love insane. Huey. Insane. So he just like effortlessly rewires his robot. Um, not only re- rewires his robot that had a bunch of wires removed from it. Like, yeah. Out. And like, <laughs> yeah, like there was wires thing. taken out. Like there was like there was enough space like made in the like you know in the innards of this robot to fit a webby in there. So like, yeah. How did he- he did this in five seconds! I want to stress, this was literally, like, five seconds. Um. He's an insane little boy. It's so funny. And I am so um, proud of him. I'm so proud of him. Uh, so that's- that's- that's Huey's power. That's where- that's- that's- that's what Dewey really needed was- was Huey to come and save him. Um, and then, likewise, uh, Dewey stands up to Doofus, being the only person in his life who ever has. Mm-hmm. Um. To, to stand up to Doofus even though he's got all this power over him um, on, on Louis' behalf. Um, and Louis talks the Beagle Boys into taking Big Time back so they'll leave Huey alone. So they each yes. kind of come to each other's rescue. Um, and uh, they reunite out, uh, outside the Drake's house with Webby, um, who is still catching up on what's happening here. Uh, I do have yeah, she's just she's bit. just kind of run down from from the from McDuck Manor. It seems like she, <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah. Like this whole fight scene, just like having a couple of minutes, and then Webby's just sprinted down from the house. <laughs> yeah, um, I did write down. It is a little bit behaviors of her her whole understanding of the situation. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that she never really understood that only Child Day was just a way for them to express their independence, not a yeah. sign that they didn't actually want to be brothers. She was yeah. kind of assuming the whole time that only Child Day meant that they were going to stop being brothers, break up, leave her alone. She'd be all alone again, like she was before. Yes, um, she's very much taking this entire thing like at face value. Where it was like, we don't want to be brothers anymore, so we're not going to be brothers ever again. Um, yeah, she thought it would be like she was taking a very very literal read of the situation yes um and also one that was very much colored by her own kind of insecurities and fears um uh huey uh they kind of explained that you know this is just like for them to be independent and be their own people for once in a while um but they of course they're brothers they're always going to be brothers um huey agrees to put only Day on the calendar officially and not just in sharpie And uh, while they they start again arguing over whose side Louis was on, and he just kind of (laughs) dodges it by wandering off to enjoy the rest of Only Child Day, which again puts him on Dewey's side, but nobody is like, oh, hang on, he's on Dewey's side. Instead, it's like, no, Louis's on my side. No, Louis's on my side. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cute. It's, it's so really cute how cute. clear it is that this is like a continuous thing that like yes, Dewey and Huey get into a big fight and they try and make Louis um, pick sides. Yeah, Louis Louis playing both sides, so he, so he always comes out on top. It is um very good. I do like his um. I just I love like the um like Louis kind of like manipulation um being grounded in like the sense of like like sibling fights. Like it's very funny to see him like doing this like you know like in, like, situations with, like, adults and, like, with higher stakes and everything. But it's also just nice to see him, like, <laughs> like use his, like, um, like, social and, like, uh, argumentative skills to be like, oh, 
Oh, I'm definitely agreeing with you. No, I'm agreeing with you. Just to kind of like pit his <laughs> pit his brothers against each other. It's very cute. Yeah. It's really cute. Yeah, I think it's so uh, cute how he just like how how incredibly averse he is to actually taking sides in fights. Yes. Um. Yeah. It's 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 great, especially like especially you could read it as like the reason that he's so averse to it is because these are two people he cares about so much that he really doesn't want to make things worse by taking sides. Yeah. Um between them and like because obviously when the fight gets to a certain point he starts fucking begging for them to stop like yeah. tearing his heart out. Yeah. <laughs> um and so uh Dewey, they kind of walk off into the sunset. Um Dewey, Dewey kind of asks Webby if if she saw any of saw any of uh, of the talk show and she kind of denies it but then starts singing the te- theme song in this kind of teasing way. Um, and he turns around to glare at her. It's very cute. <laughs> it's really cute. It's really cute. I um, I I love I love Dewey Dunant. I kind of love just like Dewey Dunant as like a concept, and I really like it in this episode as like a an expression of like Dewey's specific issues, where like he's making this talk show, which is like it's about him, and it's a show about him, and it's a thing that people will watch, and they'll know it's about him. It's got his name in the title twice. Um, mm-hmm. and he is the host, and he is every part on the show, but he's also yeah. so afraid of rejection that he's, like, not telling anybody about it. Um, yeah. and it really, it really just nicely encapsulates how desperate he is for validation and for, like, positive attention, but is really scared, like, still, and, like, continuously throughout the series. This isn't, like, something that he mm-hmm. really overcomes in, in a major way, even until, like, Rumble for Ragnarok, um... And even then, it's not, like, the end of that, like, character trait. Like, it doesn't get solved. This is something he continues to struggle with, which is he wants positive validation, but he's so scared of the potential for uh, negative, like, like for, like, rejection. Um, Rejection-sensitive dysphoria. <laughs> <coughs> um, <coughs> it seems that somebody may have a little bit of uh, ADHD, perhaps. Um, that's just a... Uh, that's just a game theory, though. <laughs> yeah. This episode was like a secret, like a like, like a Trojan horse of behaviors. Um, the, yeah. on, on its face, it doesn't really seem like it's going to be something that's about like uh, behavior episode. <laughs> about, it doesn't seem like a behavior episode. Like Depsicars and Fred is like telegraphing this is the autism one, and like Astroboid mm-hmm. is like very obviously. But this one's kind of like it kind of like sneaks up on you. But it's like yeah, it's very you. like like Huey kind of like needing like the structure of being a of being a triplet and being an older sibling and Dewey having his whole um issues with rejection sensitive Victoria and just like and like even Webby kind of like taking everything at face value. It's like, oh, I see. Very I interesting. See. And then Louis just being fucked up in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Louis just having his own problems. <laughs> Louis got Louis disorder. <laughs> Makes you act like Louis Doug. Uh, but that's the episode. That's the episode. Yeah. Oh, um, this is a good one. It was a great one. It was a really, really enjoyable. It was such a cute episode. Um, I it forgot was so to. Cute. I forgot to note it during the. Um, I forgot to note it actually during the episode itself. Uh, but uh, there's a little bit at the start, which is um, when uh. Is so excited about uh, about only child day. <gasps> yes, complete completely discounting the fact that Webby just tried to kill him. He's so excited. He picks up Webby. And he spins her around. It's so cute. It is like one. It's like I love like they're just like so like adorable interactions. It's such a, like a 
like he, it's so, he's like so excited he like he like like grabs her hands and he like picks her up and spins her around and puts her down and she like gets really dizzy it's so yeah. cute that brother and sister it's so cute it's Your like brother and sister the cutest sibling interaction i love that little like that that little piece of animation is really cute the way he like picks yeah. her up and spins her around oh it's so cute there's so many oh. there's so many just like this episode is so like pleasingly boarded um, yeah. There's so many like really really sweet moments like that. Oh, uh, it's really good. I love that. I love that little moment very very much. I see. Um, I see you. You sent me the gift. It seems. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it. <laughs> it is really really cute. It's like really well like very like nicely animated as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, so this is just like a really nice episode. Just a very nice episode. It's good to have this kind of like, uh, like no plot. It's just kind of like quote unquote filler. I hesitate to use the word filler episode because I feel like it doesn't really work in, uh, mm-hmm. in a show that is structured like this. Because I think that filler is more where like it doesn't have any impact on anything. But this is about like character development. Um, but it works well as kind of like a a low stakes episode directly after Spear of Celine. So. To kind of giving us yeah. a break from from the more um serious plot about Della and about the family um and it's just kind also, of like a nice oh yeah I was just gonna say it also uh, adds some uh, is adds some really good contrast um because Spirit Celine obviously this undercurrent to that that season plot is that Dewey is not telling his brothers. Yeah, yes. Um, out of this kind of misguided attempt to protect them. Um, and then following that, Spear Celine up with, after him finding out something concrete, something he can actually like show people, like he's found mm-hmm. out something real about his mother, um, to follow that up uh, with not him not only like not showing them, but then following that up with an episode showing how much they value being brothers and how much they need each other. Yes. And how much he needs and cares about them. Um, really adds some, like, really strengthens that plot line, I think. Yes. Yeah. It's it, it, it's very well placed where it is. I think in the original order it came later? Um, it came much later. It came, uh, like, three episodes later. Yeah, which is, I mean, again, this is kind of an episode that can really go wherever because it's not, you know, it's not time dependent. It's not plot dependent. There is no, there is like Mm -hmm. nothing here that is really going to be impacted by shifting it a little bit. But I think it works really well as kind of like thematically where it is kind of putting it directly Mm -hmm. off the sphere of Selene. It's really nice. Um, It's it's nice. I love the introduction of Dewey Tonight. I love the character development for all, like, all three of them, and not just, like, character development on their own, but specifically looking at the ways that, that they need each other and the ways that they value each other. Um, mm-hmm. It's really good. And I also, um, I'm, 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 like, I'm, like, obvious, I'm not, like, a huge, like, a huge, like, Doofus Drake fan, I would say, but I think that he's, like, a, quite, like, a funny villain, perhaps. He's, like, um, mm-hmm. he's a good, it's, it's, he's, it's, I like the kind of the bevy of, like, uh, of like bad rich people they have in this series to like continually convince you that Scrooge is a good rich person. <laughs> yeah, in comparison, in, to contrast him with, which is just very funny because we've got like you know we've got like Mark Beeks is just like the compl- like the amoral like uh, Silicon Valley tech bro, and you've got like 
uh, Glomgold, who's just like a complete maniac, and you've got like all these other like rich people, and now we've got Doofus Drake, who is uh, rich and spoiled, which is a specific mm-hmm. like specific um, aspect of being rich that hasn't kind of been um, that isn't quite yeah. covered in in any of the rich villains so far. It's just very funny looking at how like a lot of the villains have to be rich to be like, no, 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 look, 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 look. There's bad billionaires and there's good billionaires. We promise, we yeah, it's promise just... that Scrooge is a good billionaire. Just to make Scrooge look good in comparison, we're not fooled. <laughs> we know he's a shitty old bitch. We're constantly talking about it. Like we don't even. We're not even talking about like how bad Scrooge is. Like as a billionaire, we're talking about the fact that he just like sucks as a family member. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do wonder whether there's, like, any, like, classic Doofus Drake fans from, like, DuckTales 87 who were pissed about this. Like, I know there was, <laughs> but it would be interesting to kind of see how many, like, how many there were who were, like, invested in, like, the character of Doofus Drake as he was in the original DuckTales. Yeah. To, pre- to preserve him. Mm. I mean, considering that he's, for, as, uh, like, from, like, looking at his, um, his, his various Wikipedia pages... Um, across across multiple platforms, um, it seems that his main character trait was being fat and eating. So um, I'm not really mad yeah. that they kind of rejigged him to be just like a spoiled brat. Um, because there's like yeah. it 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 obviously he's still like I think he's introduced like eating like a big thing of ice cream, but the focus isn't on like his like love of food. It's more him being just like uh, just like uh, like a spoiled kid who like doesn't get told no. So it's not so much him being, it's like there is, like, the, the focus is not like, oh, it's funny that he's fat and he's eating all the time and that's why he's bad and, like, you should laugh at him. It's like, no, he's bad because he's a terrible person. Um, he's a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. And it is one of those things where it's like, obviously they changed his, his design slightly and, um, but it, they did keep him recognisable. So, um... I think it's fine. I think that, like, there, there's people who are mad about how Doofus is portrayed, like, how its character design is, and that he's still, like, uh, like an evil fat kid. And I think there is some merit to that, but I'm personally not mad about it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Just, it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to kind of look at the Doofus Drake. I have no more lo- thoughts on the episode. Let's, let's go to our third segment. Well, if, we, if you don't have any thoughts on the episode, then I'm sure we can just um, borrow some thoughts from Frank Andrones, who has... <laughs> who has a Twitter thread um, dedicated to kind of like going through? I think, I think he went through to like season two. Um, yes, of, of, of I, Ducktales. I know he went through um, the season two at least because um, I went uh, searching for uh, feathery thoughts and then yes. um, teared up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but he has um, a very extensive Twitter thread about um, every episode of DuckTales kind of going through like behind the scenes stuff, like stuff that got cut, mm-hmm. ideas, planning. And so I thought it might be a good idea to kind of just like look at what, what uh, Frank has to say about this episode and about previous episodes that we've looked at um, and just kind of see, like take a look at um, details that we as viewers may not have been um, privy to. So I'm scrolling through the thread right now. It is very long. Okay, mm-hmm. so our our... our the Day of the Only Child, um, uh, I will link you directly to the tweet so you can come and look at this with me. Um, yeah. One second, copy the tweet. Um, interestingly, this thread is in, like, uh, airing order, not, like, actual order. Um, yeah. Which makes, things, which makes it a little bit complicated to kind of, like, scroll through. 
First interesting mm-hmm. thing about this episode, originally it was going to be like uh, three separate It's a Wonderful Life segments where um, yeah. where they each go through, like they go through a portal to alternate dimensions where they'd grown up an only, where they'd each grown up as an only child. Um, yeah. So this, this kind and of like, were, so this kind of like brought, brought, brought Gyro into the mix, which would have been very funny, I yeah. have to say. <laughs> okay. Because we... Because um, we've, we've only seen Gyro in, in, what, in Great Dime Chase, and he's been in... Have he been in any other episodes this season? No, it was just Great um, Dime Chase. Wow. That's, yeah, and it's, it seems weird. Yeah. I think he gets he gets probably... Like, maybe it's just that he's such a good character that he's, uh, you know, larger than life, I suppose. Um, but yeah. he really feels like he's in more episodes. Because, um, yeah, I think also um, he was probably written into this one originally because it was probably a bit of might have been a bit of a holdover from back when he was supposed to have been introduced in the pilot so he yeah. would have been a much more kind of heavily recurring character yes. or seemed yeah. that way yeah um putting him in at this point uh i mm. just think this is really interesting because so like i've talked about this a little bit in terms of like when people like write fan fictions or whatever or like come up with like uh, scenarios where the trippers grow up separately is that so much of their characters and who they are are defined by how they've grown up yeah how they relate to each other and how they relate to being triplets that to take that away and try and have them try and have them like be only children um and have always been and have them always have been old only children yeah um, make, would make them unrecognizable <laughs> yeah i mean like people over at the feathery society like to complain that these triplets are unrecognizable anyway but they are see they still are triplets like they still are part of like a trio and they're still extremely part of like their dynamic and their character traits and their like their individual personalities so um yeah yeah it's it would be interesting to kind of look at like the way that the like the way that they would act and the way that they would have turned out if they were only children. I think probably um probably Louis uh <laughs> Louis' alternate future would probably just be him as the doofus Drake where nobody's ever told him no. Um Yeah. That that's prob that's a fairly believable um outcome for him. But um yeah, it'd be interesting because even the like it, like like Huey's kind of thing in here is very informed by him still wanting to be a triplet so it's interesting like structurally that uh the three of them don't get the same conundrum like dewey mm-hmm. and louis both get oh this is this is my ideal life where i'm not a triplet and then Huey's kind of like this is like he's the lesson that he kind of learns is oh sometimes it's good to not have brothers because sometimes they're too yeah. good at things and sometimes they try and murder people for you <laughs> yeah i just but, think it's um, interesting that Dewey and Louis get what they want and then realize it's not what they want when they wanted only child day. Yes. Huey didn't want only child day. Um <laughs> you know, and his his uh, so his storyline kind of differs uh thematically yes. to to, Dewey, to Dewey and Louis in that way. Mm. Um another interesting fact about this episode is that Doofus's character was roughly based on the uh, the Twilight Zone episode It's a Good Life, where an omnipotent boy becomes a monster because no one can tell him no. Um, I'm a big fan of that. Doofus Drake does seem like he's come directly out of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I know. I, a lot of that, like, that's where a lot of that humor kind of, like, fits in very well. It is that uncanny valley, that kind of yeah. absurdist kind of 
uh, slightly surreal humor. Uh, it mm. reminds that style of humor actually reminds me a lot of Inside Number Nine. Um, obviously, not to nearly the same extent as Inside Number Nine takes mm-hmm. it, but a lot of like the comedy in that is just like incredibly like dark humor. But, yeah. Like you know, I just think I just think the fact that they just have they just have writers with such powerful um like writing chops basically and yeah. such like strong senses of humor you get some sometimes uh, when an episode veers into a certain kind of territory or a certain area of humor the jokes just fucking like come out like that yes and some sometimes like and sometimes like, again not even just like the jokes but sometimes when just like when a, a, a like an episode kind of turns into a genre like that like i'm thinking specifically of like another kind of classic uh some another kind of part of an episode that gets compared to the twilight zone uh is um in the ballad of duke baloney yeah. that's really really good um and really like really excellently put together um and that's another like example of like and also i'm thinking of um in the beagle birthday massacre the, the kind of um the scene with the the tumble bumps in the in the in the playground yeah, we talked about yeah. how we talked about how that was like a really powerful like kind of a, a really well written and well well constructed like horror scene mm. um they can they can put together the they can veer into these other genres and deliver the, deliver on them really well um, yeah i like ducktales does like you know like tame horror quite well i think um yes like obviously obviously it's never like PG horror. Yeah, it's PG horror. It's never like scary, but it does kind of like veer into creepy. I think probably the best example of like uh, a creepy sequence would be the dream sequence in Ballad of Duke Baloney, just because it's like it is kind of touching on the like, you know, um it, it is very <laughs> I think um I can't remember who said it who said it, but one of one of my one of my friends and mutuals who watches DuckTales said, Oh, it's the lighthouse. Um which it is. It's like the <laughs> surreal black and white very yeah. like in like in like the style of horror is quite uncharacteristic for like a for like a kid's cartoon it's kind of like paying homage to more um you know like adult i guess uh yeah it's horror it's, it's re- really referencing uh kind of uh specific like directors and media that no child will be familiar with <laughs> which is really funny yeah people like i think uh it's even in that thread i think uh people compare it to lynch but it was a specific i think it was another director that it was kind of uh, written specifically in regard to yeah that's like, right yeah nobody would nobody would no child would ever understand yeah, exactly. what the fuck this is about <laughs> it's so funny it's really like it's just it's just like absolutely bizarre and like obviously like the exorcist like child's head like turning around you know mm-hmm. like it's all very, very. Um, it's a very, spe- it's a very specific kind of brand of horror that that, that they tap into there, um, and they do it kind of again. They do a very similar type of horror in obviously in the trickening. Uh, they get to play around with a bunch of different kind of horror genres. Yep. Um, because of the because of the conceit of the episode, but also uh, before that in uh, Nightmare on Kilmotor Hill, Dewey's uh, a lot of the kind of some of the dream sequence there, but specifically in Dewey's dream, uh, we get a bit of a. Five Nights with Freddy. Um, <laughs> yes. Five Nights with Freddy. Um, <laughs> five Nights with Freddy. Um, but you know, we get we get some of we get some of that uh tapping into that kind of um the, the soulless kind of mascot look. Um 
and kind of like doll horror, which will again will comes up again in the Trickening. Yeah. Um, so you get like this really this really interesting um these really interesting like forays into these different these different styles of horror. Um and we get a lot of different forays into like all different kind of styles of like all different genres and all different like styles of storytelling. So we get all these like 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 you know, like we said this episode, there's like these kind of three kind of distinct like comedy styles that, mm-hmm. that this episode goes through. Um and of course we get like all these kind of um we get like you know the quackpack episode where it's like all like this kind of like sitcom meta humor like, very much yeah all this kind of meta humor and this uh very like kind of playing up the the kind of like soullessness of, of modern sitcoms <laughs> yeah. um and again with this with this with this tinge of tinge of existential like horror going yeah. on yeah like this uh this 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 uh psychological aspect uh that's that's very concerning um mm. You know, we get a we get a lot of like a lot of a lot of range basically when it comes yeah. to, when it comes to this kind of stuff, um, mm. which goes to show that like when the episode does veer into these areas, uh, the writers really can't handle it, and you get yes. like these really memorable uh, these really memorable scenes and and, and sections of, of of episodes. Mm. Yeah, I I think I think uh, is great. It's really well done as like the uncanny, just like creepy child. Um, and mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of an interesting take on the creepy child because all the time the creepy child is like supernatural in nature. This time it's just because he's spoiled and he's never had any kind of like normal life. So it's a really it's quite an interesting take, I guess, on the the creepy child trope. Um, I think it's done quite quite well. So um, uh, mm-hmm. I I really like that facet, and it does feel quite Twilight Zoney. So I do like that that little detail that Frank had in there. Um, yeah. One of my favorite one of my favorite tidbits that Frank shares about about uh, Day the Only Child is that Dewey Do Night is based off something he used to do as a kid. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Um, quote: I used I'm... to I used to deliver fake fake late night talk show monologues to an imaginary audience and hold for applause. It was unsettling to watch. I love this. <laughs> I am obsessed with it. It's so good. Um, it is, I think, a little bit relatable. I used to. Um, just kind of like monologue to myself oh yeah like you know constantly i talk to myself a lot um so like i think i think the whole kind of uh pretending that you're in a tv show or pretending that you're being mm-hmm. watched it's very much a, a dewy type of thing to do particularly he's like the kind of kid and i kind of was to to like behave a certain way when you're alone oh because yes. you're imagining that there's a camera on you yes or that someone's watching you like posing or doing something a certain way or like letting some imaginary audience influence the way that you're behaving um mm-hmm. because it it would look good if there was someone there <laughs> you're alone because you're free yeah. <laughs> um, so like it's very cute. It's very characterful for Dewey, and I think you can really, I think you can really tell that that uh, that that personal experience aspect in Dewey's Unite because, like, the scrambling around, the like, the getting distracted <laughs> and just like getting lost and just playing with toys, um, <laughs> and then going back to like going back to like presenting the show because but then like so easily getting distracted because there are no stakes because it isn't really that real yeah. even though he is recording it like all this kind of stuff um it's very it's very real it's it's, it's very real very 10 years old mm. 
I like it. I also like the the kind of teaser at the end of um the uh, the, the last tweet about Daisy and Child, which is that Dewey do not returns next season on location with a big name guest star. I don't know how much of a big name guest star Darkwing Duck actually is, <laughs> but um, I love he, it. He sure he did. Th- he, he thinks he's a big name guest star. He sure did film on location with like four viewers on his live stream. Um, <laughs> that was that. That's just like a cute little um. So yeah. So it, throughout this thread, there's kind of like behind the scenes content, little tidbits, stuff that was cut, and then also like teasers for the future. Um, this was this was a pretty good teaser. I do like the big name guest star. Um, I do. I'm just gonna take a peek in the replies to that to see if anybody's guessing um, what it's about. <laughs> Somebody just saying, "Is it goofy?" All caps. <laughs> <laughs> is it goofy? Is it goofy? Ah, oh, is it goofy? Is it goofy? <laughs> I'm shaking and crying. I'm shaking and crying. Is it goofy? Is it goofy? <laughs> please, 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 please. I promise. So that so that was the kind of that was the that was the, some of the the facts about uh, Day of the Early Child. So I thought it might be interesting to just kind of like look back through the episodes that we've already seen. Um, probably not go into uh, a huge amount of detail because I don't want to go too long on this. But um, just kind of take a peek at the most interesting facts about episodes that we've already seen. And so then we may want to like um, revisit this like maybe at the end of the season as well to kind of like take another yeah. look back. Um, we're about halfway through. Now, we're about so we're about good. halfway through. So um, I think I think uh, we do you want to go backwards or do you want to go back to the start and go through forwards? What do you think would be better? Um, let's go backwards because it's be more be more fresh and fresh in people's. And minds. that way we can directly talk about Storkyles. <laughs> yes. Um, you know what I'm about. Yes. Um. So, uh, some interesting, some interesting stuff about here is that, um, originally Ithaquack was going to be more populated and the, the salesman who sold Launchpad the gear on Neverest was going to be there. Um, mm-hmm. he was going to sell a map to the Temple of Heroes to do in Webby, but it was cut because it was unnecessary. Um, it, again, yes, very unnecessary. Would have been funny to have him just show up here for yeah. no reason on this island of the gods. But, um, it does kind I, of like. I do also like, um, I do like the 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 atmosphere provided by having this like this massive island with all of these like houses and settlements on it that is this completely yeah. deserted. Yeah, it it does kind of like that that decision to cut that does make it uh, does make Ithaquack feel a lot more isolated. Um, uh, mm-hmm. which um is pretty good because like obviously Zeus drove everybody out. Um, yeah. Um, and it really like it makes Zeus even more like petty and like yeah. pathetic, right? To have like, <laughs> yes. You are you are the king of nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, there he talks about the um, casting Greek actors, and of course, casting the line of Lindos, the hero of the hero of Heliopolis, the mighty Storkyles. Um, uh, it delighted us to no end that the guy who plays Mickey was going to play Donald's best friend. Um, they can't. We, they've talked about. They've talked before about how um, they Mickey pretty much is the only thing they haven't been able to get a, like a license they to put can't in the have show. Him. They can't put Mickey in the They're show. They're not allowed. Makes sense. Like it is like he I is can't the really mouse. blame them for he not is... letting Mickey into like DuckTales 2017 given yeah. their like pr- particular like approach. Like obviously yeah. we love DuckTales 2017, but like introducing Mickey will make him like it'll be like, wow, so you're complicit with uh, Donald falling into depression after his sister went missing, huh? Mm. Mickey, why didn't you go and help him, huh? Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
There'll be like there'll be some fucked up ramifications to Frankie's character if he's introduced into DuckTales. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can uh, see why. Um um, oh, I like. I just I, love this. I just love this note, which is uh, Storkies is allowed to be as full of himself yes. as he is, and still be likable as a character because he thinks everyone has the capability to be as great as he is, especially Donald. I love that. See, that's why that's why Storkies is such a nice character because he's like, he's very arrogant, but not in like like he's he's arrogant, but it's like he, fine because he should be because no, he literally is a god. It's like it's. It's very funny because usually kind of arrogant kind of characters who are like arrogant like that think they are better than everyone else. He doesn't. He, he thinks, thinks everyone really is great, just and as he good. thinks everyone else is also super great. It's awesome. It's really awesome. He's um, great. He's so I will, perfect. I also like the note after this, which is um, I'd never worked with Chris prior to this, but he left such a mark and is so stinking versatile that it makes total sense that he'd be perfect for another blustery hero. I'll talk about later. Ah, oh, I love this. I love mm-hmm. that. I I I love that. Um. That that uh, Christian Mentopolis was like so perfect for Storkillies and also so so perfect for 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 Drake is just like it's fantastic to me. He's such like, a good like and yeah, he's such a versatile voice actor. I know, like especially because like I think like listening to his like speaking voice when he's in like live action mm-hmm. uh, roles. You can really see the the Darkwing Duck thing. You can you can hear which parts of his voice he kind of exaggerates to get to get that voice. So you can hear Darkwing Duck in his voice. But Storkilles is so like out of the park. Like it's so yes. totally different <laughs> that it's insane to think that he was that he was cast first as Storkilles, mm-hmm. and then it was like, hmm, maybe you want to do Darkwing Duck, and what he just pulls off this perfect Jim Cummings impression. <laughs> <laughs> like what it's incredible oh it's great um and there's another really good one which is um we love the idea of meeting people who knew donald and della back when they were young and how that would have an impact on donald it's the first time that we see how della's disappearance impacted donald and why he needs to keep these kids safe oh yeah Mm. yeah which is really good when you think about that episode and you think about specifically the scene where he's saying what happened to when he's telling stories about what happened to Della and he turns and looks at the kids who are with Scrooge yes um and specifically all the kind of baggage that comes with that like the framing of that shot is incredible Mm. yeah oof oh but I mean, you. I mean, we can't spend too long on this. We just had a three-hour episode of Spear of Celine. <laughs> we can't do this again. Um, uh, I like, I like, I'm a huge fan of the fact that the the first tweet about missing links of Morsha is that um, the network asked asked them to do a sports themed episode, so they did golf. <laughs> I love the fact that they did golf. <laughs> we, th- we thought kids would be excited by golf. So much so that we had a character constantly talk about how much he hated golf. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> uh, again, talking about... And of course, about, we, went, talk- we went over it in the episode, but there is a, the Launchpad golf ball joke and the yes, controversy surrounding which was controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, and also which- a lot of My Little Pony talk. Yeah. Um, and it's it's nice that it's kind of like um, because uh uh Lauren Faust who created uh, Marvel Pony Friendship is Magic, um and Craig um Craig McCracken who uh is like worked in a lot of animation but especially Wonder Over Yonder is one of his big things because Frank Adrian has worked on Wonder Over Yonder so it's kind of nice like yeah uh, like 
uh, nodding back to people who have like um you know he's worked with and that he's like admired mm. in the industry and stuff like that so i like that a lot um i i especially like this note where he uh says that craig mccracken said uh he makes shows by quote making the best versions of the shows we thought we remembered as kids which yes. is really really good because that's very much what ducktales um, is yeah it's it's built out of the nostalgia of what you thought ducktales was like <laughs> not the reality of what it actually was <laughs> you know yeah um it's it's great the the launchpad eating golf balls being the cutoff line for launchpad jokes is um yeah. uh very interesting little <laughs> the tidbit. rubicon they may not cross <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yes so um <laughs> i do like like the notes for missing link from Morsha are quite good because i do like the kind of like uh, I do like it when 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 kind of show creators look at like their philosophy behind writing and behind creating. So mm. it's nice to kind of see the um how 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 other creators have impacted um Frank and how he how he writes things. Um McMystery talks about some interesting things about how um uh this is like the the bottle episodes for animation just don't exist. That they don't they don't they they don't work in the yeah. same way that live action bottle episodes do because there is production involved in every aspect of animation yeah. in a way that there really isn't for live action because when like with 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 yeah. live action when you have a bottle episode you don't have to put, like you don't put any effort like like the set is like done like the set is like yeah. there is one set and that's it and you don't have to do anything else but for animation obviously you're having to draw the same room from different angles multiple times and you have to make it interesting and you have to make it like like interesting to work within and to animate within um yeah and so, you have to and the amount of planning that goes into when you can't just like go to another location which is set up to stage a shot more conveniently mm. to be able to have to find a way for an action to work within the environment that you've you've trapped yourself in yeah. <laughs> is a is a real t- real tough yes um, and it's incredible that they managed to get so many um that they managed to get so many kind of uh, really memorable and like uh creative stagings within that locked room mm. you know like they're thinking about like obviously like all the nick nocturne stuff like he's on top of like the staircase like that's a very kind of um that's kind of an arresting visual there's like the little alcove that they keep hiding in um there's uh, the bit where there's the bit where Huey fucking uh swings off the chandelier and yeah. fucking tears the tears the cable off the wall yes like there's a lot of like very specific kind of spatial stuff that has to happen there that, mm. that had to be that had to be very very kind of tightly worked out yeah i i like i like frank's note which is that um uh easy for design which is what a bottle episode is meant to be means that there's no like new like props, no backgrounds, new like new characters. Everything is like contained. What you start out with is what you finish with. Um, so mm-hmm. writers have to work hard to limit new characters and new props and new backgrounds. And the board team has to think judiciously about new shots and like angles. And you can't. There's like the, you can't do like cutaway gags. You can't do like time jumps. There's a limited cast. It has to still be dynamic enough to be entertaining. And the mm-hmm. the main setting has to be perfectly designed because you're spending your entire time in there and you're looking at it from a hundred different angles so it's actually works out to be a much more like labor intensive episode than one with multiple locations because 
you are perfecting this one location and you're doing it with a limited cast and like a very limited scope as well. So it's really impressive that they pulled it off so well because I think it's a really well done uh, animated bottle episode. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, also talks about um, uh, Duckworth being a ghost and how that kind of factored into um, the reworking of, 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 of like the characters in and of themselves, yeah. which is really interesting. Um, yeah, so he says that uh, he says that in one of the because I've seen I've actually seen the portrait that he's talking about, which is a, a very early kind of piece of concept art, um, which was uh, all of the all of the kind of Scrooge's kind of cast. Um, but as, as he says, uh, Scrooge is the world's greatest adventurer. But in this kind of piece of concept art, he surrounds himself with these soft, squishy tropes, these character archetypes, um, and it didn't really make sense to look at it because realistically having gone through having led such an exciting life Scrooge would have kind of collected up in like kind of gathered up in his wake these equally interesting people mm. you know these uh so replacing like you know turning like Miss Beakley this kind of like kind of stodgy old maid into like a into, in, into like a you know a paranoid super spy who's a fucking insane person <laughs> yeah um, and like just straight up killing off Duckworth and making him a ghost, you know. Mm. Um, and 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 uh, one like it's specifically mentioning Jaru in here as as turning from just like a general crackpot inventor into a mad scientist, which is um yeah. another character An change that people people were quite mad about <laughs> because in the comics and in the original show Jaru is like just a nice person, like he's very he's nice. Often, yeah, he was often defined by his kindness. He's um, very kind. He's kind of um a little bit like. Uh, he's he, he often is kind of kind of gets him taken advantage of. Like he he um, he's kind of like altruistic to a fault. So um, mm-hmm. it was like it was like very much like a one eighty on his entire like character to make him just like a huge bitch. Um, yeah, and pretty much evil and like um, like yeah. So it's that was like a very controversial decision for a lot of people in the fandom. But I think it worked out a lot better because mo- like like. It, it it makes it like it adds interest like it adds interest because that now like having a show of people just like people who are nice is like fun and it's like like fine and it's like good like it feel good it's like feel good but it's not interesting because you've got no like like dissenting like opinions I guess yeah it's a it's a kind of a it's a kind of a momentum killer uh you don't have and it also kind of le- when you have casts like that. You have to keep on introducing tension from outside sources, which becomes very repetitive mm. and doesn't lead to any growth for characters. So by having characters who are so dynamic and so um, so kind of motivated in their own directions that they're constantly clashing against each other and kind of ricocheting off each other, yes, you can have these episodes where you could take away all of the outside, all of the kind of the outside influences and just have them like go crazy with each other. Yeah, which is um, you know. So that kind of stuff, uh, and uh, with Jairo specifically, um, if you make him like kind of too kind and kind of doormat-like, he kind of overlaps into feathery a little bit. Yeah. Um, particularly and like, with that's, like their that, their kind of version of feathery. And that wasn't and a problem in, in most so of much... the. That wasn't a problem in most of the yeah. original comics, and especially the original Ducktales, where feathery was not present. But yes. in a show where they are intending to bring in this well-meaning, kind of kooky, like, science-adjacent yeah. guy, it doesn't really make sense yeah. to have two people in that same character trope. 
And also because it makes Feathery a more powerful character because there really isn't anyone like him. Yeah. There isn't it, anyone it, who, it, like... It as, makes him as, feel as, that. As Frank says in it, he has not, not an ounce of malice. Yeah. He's genuinely just kind of guileless and sweet. Yeah. Um, and... Oh, I love him so much. I'm oh, sorry. We can't stop talking. We can't stop talking. <laughs> Feathery's too much. Um... Uh... Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like by it really does. It really does kind of give some life to the cast by having them kind of uh, have having them kind of um, uh, differ in those ways and adding tension just by like making some some of them like a huge fucking bitch. Yeah. But also, like, how joyless do you have to be to watch Jim Rash's fucking performance yeah. of Gyro Gearloo? <laughs> And not think I love this. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? <sighs> yeah, I, I will, I will give them credit. Most of the people who are like, uh, Jaro is evil now. They do at least concede that Jim Rash is, like does a really good vocal performance. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I will give I them that. I think he at is. Least. I like as much as we talk about all the other voice actors. I think David Tennant is an incredible voice actor particularly i think he translates into voice very well um uh, i i and i really noticed it during um during it was the live mcmystery table read which was um he kept making noises whenever any action was like read out. <laughs> he would like grunt or like make a or some kind of noise uh which is a very kind of um like him and bobby moynihan have this kind of sense of uh sense for providing di- additional kind of sound effects Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Scrooge has some of the funniest line deliveries that actually kind of almost fly under the radar because they're so consistently funny. Yes. Um, so, like, David Tennant's a really powerful voice actor, but I think that Jim Rash is one of the best in I agree. the show. I agree. I think I um, think probably my favourite voice actors in the show would be uh, Jim Rash, Bobby Moynihan, and probably Ben Schwartz. Um, mm. I, I think Ben Schwartz. Oh, Ben Schwartz is really good. He really shone in this episode, especially because he was like, Oh yeah. Given a lot of room to be very she like knows. Um, <laughs> given a lot of room to, to to um play against himself and be very showy and very uh theatrical, I mm-hmm. suppose. Um Yeah. And very yeah. improv y. Um Yeah, yeah. Like Ben Schwartz's improv show is I'm sorry I'm sorry, Thomas Middleditch. Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middleditch's improv show is fucking hilarious. I love and it. It's very, very fun. It's, it's very, very good. Very good. Um, but it's really, I think, a, str- a like a smart move to almost kind of isolate Ben Schwartz and put him in a space where he can just kind of go off the cuff for a while. Just lock him um, in a room with a with a vague outline and tell him to go ham. Yeah. Um, because what also like what you also what we also see in like the again the live table read for McMystery, um, is that Ben Schwartz in particular has such a strong sense of comedic timing. Yes. Um, which he mostly displayed by just fucking doing the fucking happy birthday uh, <laughs> uh, key on the guitar in the middle of other people's lines, but he always like it was just like it was remained funny for quite a while just because he has such a strong sense of comedic timing and that was why you can't really show that well in an environment where you're all recording your lines separately and they're mixed afterwards yeah um so i think it it shows through a lot a lot better in live reads and in um 
and in kind of long, uninterrupted monologues, basically, where yes. it's him working out the comedic timing with himself. <laughs> mm. Very good. Um, I kind of want to, like, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go back through all of the other episodes. I feel like I, I don't want to run too long. I don't want to make this another three-hour episode. Yeah. Um, so just kind of, just kind of like touching on the other, the other previous episodes. Uh, Terror of the Terraformians. This is like, a, you know, an older, uh, an old comic story that was again adapted for the old Ducktales twenty eight, Ducktales twenty seventeen, um, which is about the Terrors, uh, the Terries and the Fermies. Um, they kind of, rather than doing that same huge story, they decided to focus on on Huey's specific issues, which I think was a really good idea. Um, to kind of bring this whole like monster story into a smaller scale. Um, mm-hmm. I think that works a lot better. But we've already better. talked about how we can make that even better. We, we've already <laughs> talked about our better ideas for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then my other favourite note about this, which is that um, uh, at this point they hadn't um, cast Magicka, um when they were mm. writing this episode, and so like she was kind of like uh, like she was like kind of like done temporary voices as like a whispery like ghosty voice until they found uh, Catherine Tate. And, and, um, I love the, I love the way that Frank describes her performance as delightfully unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Um, big fan of that. Um, uh, Living Mummies of Tothra, which is really good, um, is kind of like talking about how everyone uses their distinct personalities to solve an adventure, which is, I think, something we, d- we definitely talked about. Um, I'm sure we did, because we love to mm-hmm. talk about when, when the kids, use their specific character traits where Webby obsesses over prophecy, Louis cons, Huey analyzes, Dewey distracts slash dances, <laughs> Scrooge inspires, and Launchpad is Launchpad. Um, mm-hmm. big fan of that. <laughs> a big fan of Launchpad is Launchpad. Um, yeah. And, and one of my other favorite, favorite facts from this, which is, um, in the DuckTales show Bible, um, every character bio includes stats, likes, dislikes, greatest fears, prize possessions, and how they would defeat a mummy, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I, I think is that. a really, really essential thing to know about a character that you're writing for. Um, yeah. So I'm, gl- I'm glad that they got to do that in um, in Toth, rather. They got to examine how, how Louis would defeat a mummy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Infernal Internship of Mark Beeks. Of course they wanted to call him Mark Zuckerberg. Yes, they did. Um, I yeah. think in an early, uh, in a photo of like the writer's room, they had this big like whiteboard of a bunch of like villains oh, and their traits. He, he was Mark Duckerberg. Um, back he was there. Mark Duckerberg. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, they also uh, they also wanted to have uh, Daisy as Conkle's assistant and have yeah. having having been Donald's ex at that point. Yes, but the problem was not only was that like too much like. We talked a lot about A, B, A stories, B stories, and C stories, but it really is just A stories and B stories because, as as is noted in these like notes, they just kind of stopped trying to put in C stories because it was crowding the episode too much. Yeah, um, yeah. But also um, that they were also having this problem where everything that's significant seemed to have happened in the past. Yes. Um, which and it would have I think also seemed a little bit reductive for Daisy to introduce her as a as a character who used to be, who used to be important and was introduced in relation to Donald. Yeah. Um, rather than introduced under her own terms. Yeah. Um I I like like obviously we don't get to see Daisy for a long time. She only shows up in season three in Louis Eleven, which is a long wait, which is it, it's very surprising that they were gonna introduce her so early on, honestly. Um which um 
mm-hmm. is it would have been interesting to kind of have her kicking around like in the background since season one. But I think it works mm-hmm. a lot better introducing her where she is because she gets like, because Louis Eleven is kind of like it's not only her episode, but she like she definitely owns her storyline in it. So it works a lot better that oh, she's yeah. in her own like doing her own thing rather than just kind of tacked onto a story which is about Mark Beeks and about Huey and about Dewey and also going to be about uh, this episode was going to be about Donald also competing for the internship to impress Daisy. So there was going to be a lot of moving parts, and I think it's better that she kind of, like, was transplanted from there to season three, which, on yeah. one hand, sad that we didn't get to see her earlier, but I think it, she was worth the wait. Um, I also think um, it's really cute and consistent, how, like, consistently some of the jokes that we like best and the ones that have the kind of most effect on us are the ones that are drawn from real life. And an example of this is that... Uh, Dewey carrying around a briefcase that he picked up for no reason and I have no idea yes. what's in it um, was based on uh, Matt Youngberg's actual brother who carried a briefcase around for a year as a kid because he thought it made him seem interesting. Oh, I, I love I love details like that. I love when like when writers and 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 like creators kind of take tidbits from their own lives or like from from their friends' lives and like put it yeah. into cartoons. It makes it feel very real because like. Because the some... thing is, the shit that kids that get up to is unparalleled. It if is. you're constantly riding on what you think kids should be doing or what you think kids would do, it's always going to be really boring because kids get up to mad shit. Mm-hmm. I did the dumbest things when I was a kid. <laughs> I still do very stupid things, but in a less fun way. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So that was a, that's um, I think I think I I, I think that um, uh, infernal internship turned out like very very good i think that the structure of it turned out very well the it doesn't suffer from having um that sea story removed and it very much the the kind of like the real the very real like um <laughs> brother based writing very much shines through so that works very well mm-hmm. um i'm a big fan of that um house the lucky gander um very interesting i remember yes. we loved this episode um there's, <laughs> I really like um, the fact that there was a lengthy argument about whether the act of opening his wallet for cash was too much effort for Gladstone. Obsessed I with love that. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with that. With that being how the twenty dollars thing came about is mm-hmm. through this fucking heated debate um, about how exactly Gladstone's work, Gladstone's luck works, um, and also the fact that they mentioned in it that um, there is no way that. If that Gladstone physically can't try at anything because then his luck will stop working, um, that like is really interesting. Mm. I um, interesting. Also interesting talking about um how uh, uh Paul F. Tompkins was their only their only Gladstone choice. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. He does a he does a good job for Gladstone. Um, I think specifically he does a good job for this Gladstone. Um, yes, we've talked before about how. Uh, we are um, our, about our feelings on Gladstone's new design. I feel like since House of the Lucky Gander, I've become more anti-new Gladstone's hair, specifically. This is the problem. <laughs> the thing is, when we were doing our Lucky Gander episode, we were still trying to maintain this veneer of professionalism by being tactful about Gladstone's hair. But since that point, we have both become vehemently anti-Gladstone's hair. And it's just like... 
I love the rest of Gladstone's design so much. It, the fact that his hair looks like that is making me really angry. <laughs> it's very, um, it's really tragic. But the thing is that, like, Paul F. Tompkins works well, and I think that if Gladstone had his beautiful curls, I, it, it's kind of, I mean, obviously it's hard to, like... Too uh, powerful. To, <laughs> it's too powerful. Obviously it's kind of hard to, like, um, to imagine how it is, because, like... It, it was designed the way it is for a reason, and obviously, like, the, the cast and the crew were happy enough with it. And it also, it's not like this design came out of nowhere. This hairstyle is based on Comics Gladstone. Like, he does have this kind of, um, yeah. these, like, interesting waves, I guess, um, in comics. So it's, it's not like they so just narrow. made this decision out of nowhere. It's just looks, that's not my favorite, but, um, I no. think that, it, and again, this kind of, I think, um, I think, I don't think it's in this, uh, Thread. I think it may have been something that Frank said on Tumblr, which is that um, uh, maybe it's not something that Frank said. Maybe something else that somebody else said. But um, this this version of of Gladstone is more of a playboy than a dandy, which are two yes. different a- kinds of like of like uh, you know, sp- two different kinds of like rich men, like luxurious men. Yeah. See, a a dandy is kind of a lot more harmless. Yes. Um, a very benign and Gladstone I think has this very purposeful sleazy element not yeah. that he is a malicious person or that he does anything particularly shady but just that he's kind of amoral yeah um, so that in that in... that he's like they describe him as the jerk cousin he's got yeah. this he's got this negative element to his personality yeah so in that sense Paul F. Tompkins I think works really well for this particular incarnation and interpretation of Gladstone but if he yeah. was like if he was just like a foppish I... dandy I think um I think like a a less because he's, he's a very he's got a very um purposeful voice I think he's got a very um yes he does forceful voice um I think it's really interesting. Um, I'm a massive Paul F. Tompkins fan. Oh yeah. Um, oh, this, I'm not anti Paul F. Tompkins. So, I want to make it clear. I think he's, oh, no, I think no, he oh, worked no, no, really no, well for Gladstone. I didn't. I didn't think you were. I just need to make it clear that like, I I I'm like a big. I'm like a fan of a lot of the work that these voice actors do across mm-hmm. the board in Ducktales. I am a massive Paul F. Tompkins fan completely di- di- like divorced from his work in, in DuckTales uh-huh. like I just am okay um, <laughs> I find it really interesting that his other kind of major role in in in, uh, in an animated show is Mr. Peanut Butter yeah who's, who's kind of one of his main character traits is that everything is handed to him that mm. he walks through life kind of kind of free freeloads through life um and gets opportunities handed to him where other people struggle um and obviously uh, and that they're both completely basically complacent gladstone and gladstone and mr peanut butter that they uh, don't really question it or or seek out anything more that they're perfectly happy with their lot in life because they're provided for and they don't really consider the hardships of people who aren't provided for or like mm. privileged in the same way that they are um, and I think it's really interesting to have um, Gladstone actually be the darker side of that. Yeah. Because they're both kind of these like stupid, privileged, rich guys. Um, but to have Gladstone actually be uh, played a lot kind of shadier, actually, mm. um, while still being like, still being quite innocent, ultimately, of like, 
he's kind of he's actually kind of guileless like he's not really he doesn't really plot things or like again we we've gone into this he doesn't do anything he doesn't do anything he's perfectly smooth he still has this he still has this um this again this very negative aspect to his personality like like mr peanut butter is like a bit of a jerk but it's masked very heavily Mm. in this kind of everybody loves him thing Gladstone, everybody fucking hates him. He's a jerk. He's an asshole. Yeah. Um, but the universe loves him, so he's fine. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting that these are, that that he's that he's kind of um, kind of similar to to Ben Schwartz. They both have, like like Ben Schwartz. I think Danny Pudi and uh, and uh, and Paula Tompkins um, both have a kind of a history of being typecast as a, as a certain kind of character. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah, I also really like um the kind of direct parallel that uh, that that Frank kind of draws here between the casting of uh, Paul Tompkins and as Bobby Moynihan. Um, yeah, the fact that they both they were both characters who, being such similar characters, they're both characters who had to be cast using voice actors who had some charming quality to their voice, who had something that was so relatable or so sincere in their mm. in their vocal vocal performance that made you still like the character um so i think they're i think it's really a really good casting decision on both the, the, those parts yeah um i like the the, the the there's a really nice note here as well on on house of lucky gander which is that um talking about how how this is kind of like donald's most the most lines that donald's had in an episode up to that point which is um obviously obviously going to be a tricky thing to kind of uh to kind of do with his traditional voice and make him comprehensible and make him function in, you know, a mm-hmm. a, a dial quite a dialogue heavy role, but I like the note which is that um, our uh, the goal is to do for Donald what a Goofy movie did for Goofy, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's fantastic. I love a Goofy movie. Um, I think it's a flawless movie, and it really does mm-hmm. the incredible task of making Goofy the world's best dad. <laughs> Yeah. Um. Obviously, obviously, that's not that's not the uh that's not exactly what Frank means here. In the the goal is to do well, it. Well, actually, no. Well, because he does say in the next tweet, he deserves the effort from all involved to make him Duckburg's best, if most frustrated dad. So, I mean, yeah, in, it is that, that is that is what he means. But he also he, he's also talking about making him um giving him a personality and give, giving him nuance oh, yeah, and, yeah. and making him deeper. But it is also just about making him the world's best dad. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Although in the in in DuckTales, it's not even making him the world's best dad; it's just getting people to recognize that he's the yeah, exactly. Best dad, he already, he already was is. the world's best dad. Um, I do think about the he's like just been doing it. I do think about the um the those panels from that comic where Scrooge keeps on like showing him a triplet and being like, "Which one is this?" And he's like, "Obviously, it's Huey. He's got like a freckle." You yeah, idiot. And he gives, can't you tell the difference. Yeah, and he gives all the all the very minor details that like identify yeah. how he knows all of them. And there's that very very cute comic of like he's racing against the boys and like swimming and they they're swapping out and he's thinking they think i don't know that yeah. out, it's very obviously louis behind me that one's and really it's cute very very cute i'm a big fan of um Don- donald has always been a really good dad um so it's nice that the doctors is like finally giving him the spotlight and the recognition that he deserves um yeah. in in this thread frank and Jonas does does call does call the episode the Beagle Birthday Breakout, which is incorrect. That's not what this episode is called. It's the Beagle Birthday Massacre. I think everyone needs to face the fact that this episode is a massacre. Um, it's a massacre. It's a massacre. It's death. Destruction. It's death and destruction massacre. and killing and violence. Um, some interesting talk about how um, 
uh, how a lot of people think that Lena was based on Minima Dispel, which is um, Magicka's kind of niece. Um, but she's mm-hmm. actually based on Magicka's Shadow from the original DuckTales app, Magicka's Shadow War, which is a concept and a phrase that comes back in the finale of season one. Um, yeah. But that's interesting that Lena was not like, Lena, the niece of Magicka, is not actually based on the real niece of Magicka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's kind of interesting to me. Um, and talking about how. Um, this is a show about family, so it's an int- it's giving the show a chance to talk about like abusive family relationships and um like negative family relationships, which I think is really good to do in a show which is about how good family is and how important family is to also yeah. show that um family is family is what you choose and you don't have to like like your mm-hmm. quote unquote birth family using birth very liberally here for Le- for Lena yeah. um your birth family is not the be all and end all you don't have to ally yourself with them. Um, yeah, that you shouldn't feel obligated to forgive, um, forgive someone because they are family, um, because just just on the basis of being family, that you should that, that that there are always people who will care for you and accept you more than um, the way that you deserve, essentially. But the most important note about this episode is that um, there exists somewhere out there a quote somewhat. Not safe for work list of possible beagle names. <sighs> mm-hmm. I am desperate to find out what the what what the inappropriate beagle boys are. I desperately wanted. I desperately I want to meet. I want to know so fucking bad. I life. want. I want to know about bottom beagle. Um. <laughs> Die. I also am obsessed with this because um, Name Checks Bob Snow, who has also been credited for some of my personal favorite jokes in DuckTales, mm-hmm. that whenever there's like some insane joke, um, it's always credited to Bob Snow. <laughs> yes. I thought that's that's gonna so be like that's gonna be like our white whale, honestly. The 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 not safe for work list of Beagle Boy names. Like I feel like it's gonna be something that like. Like five years or something after Ducktales finishes, like sometime like out out of nowhere, Frank Andrews is going to tweet, "Hey, remember this one thing I said once? Hey, I found I found like the like I found like the like the 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 word document <laughs> of the not safe for work mm-hmm. Beagle names, and he's going to drop it. I can just like yeah. oh, I just want to know. I want to know how not safe for work they were trying to get." I want it so mad. I want, I want it, it so bad. Um, okay. Um, that's the the note. The notes on on Beagle Birthday Mythical were fairly short, mostly just about Lena. Um, the Great Dime Chase is an interesting one because it's talking about um, how they discovered the chemistry between Dewey and Webby, which is an interesting thing that they didn't uh, like. Obviously, a lot of writing a TV show is planned out ahead of time, but also you discover things as you're writing it. You discover how characters work well together. You discover how like themes and like like how like things may come back and how like just like how things work together kind of on the fly so it's interesting that the the, the chemistry between Dewey and Webby was obviously they had been planned to work together in this episode but it's interesting that like the extent of their friendship hadn't really been maybe fully considered this early on so it really like Mm -hmm. it really goes to show how like powerful um like the, the the character writing here is which makes it which is like it feels like they were always meant to be best friends, like right from the start. Um, mm-hmm. um, mentioning how um, they deliberately didn't put Huey in this one because he'd just been in Neverest, so like 
he didn't really like yeah. he didn't need to be crammed into this one which was already fairly uh lots of moving parts and um obviously Jari was here. <laughs> um, there's our guy. There's our guy talking about how um uh in the original series, um Jari never really had an inventor that didn't somehow misfire and threaten everyone. But I think like in the original series that was more kind of like incompetence. This one's more like, oh, they're evil. Which <laughs> yeah. I think is a really funny turn to take. Um, that they're in some way representative of of Gyro being a bit fucked up as yes. all, all of his inventions kind of reflect that that desire in some way to just be a be, be a massive bitch. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then also also teasing another season three episode, which we are a huge fan of, which is um Gyro still loves his machine very much. The phrase "they're not all evil, some are just wildly misunderstood" is a key why Jaro is why why Jaro is the way that he is that we'll explore more in season three, which is um. Reference to our favourite episode of all time, <laughs> which again is going to be a three-hour, possibly four-hour episode where we talk about oh, Astro Jesus Boyd, um, uh, and then also the other we note can't. here, which is that um, given what we know of the buzzards now, sure seems like the story where they try to shut down all the crazies at the bin is important, huh? Which is of course referencing mm-hmm. the fact that the buzzards are foul. Um, yeah, this is um obviously they're disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> they're foul. They're fetid. Um. This again is obviously something that's uh, the main plot of season three, but this is like the reveal that we got at the end of season two, at the end of Invasion, where they like you got to see Foul High Command, um, and uh, so it's very um, it's really cool to kind of go back and see something like this, which at the time is framed as like a business decision and makes sense in that in like in that context. If you go back and be like, oh, they really are just trying to like get rid of like the like you know the <laughs> the insanely like like i was gonna say competent chaotic chaotic yeah unpredictable people that are allies with scrooge which makes a lot of sense in terms of their real motivations um yeah uh, talking about neverest um uh which and they're also talking about how um why this one got shifted which is that the network wanted more wintry content for its christmas time programming so they asked us to add this episode 10th instead of fourth because because there is snow in it <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we've talked we've we've talked on we talked in detail about how catastrophic this was. Yes. Um, um and it's, it's interesting because this this episode was not conceived as a Christmas one. It was made that way after the fact. After yeah. the network meddled. So to make the episode more Christmassy, they threw in a joke about Santa, um yeah. which has grave ramifications for the timeline. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Grave ramifications <laughs> is my favorite way to phrase that. The consequences of this are dire. <laughs> they are. The the time the DuckTales timeline is in shambles. I I I genuinely I genuinely want to put together like after after them after the next episode airs and if we get any more bombshells about about the passage of time in that one, I wanna to put together like uh d- like a timeline featuring every like definitively stated point in time across the entire series and see how long everything has taken because there was a very upsetting statement of time in in fight for castle mcduck which does not yes. gel at all and which made me b- there is an upsetting baffled. statement of time in fight for castle mcduck 
immediately following another upsetting uh, statement of time in Escape from the Impossible, which, which don't work together, they contradict <laughs> each other directly. <laughs> And it made me feel insane. I literally uh, felt like I, I felt like I was trying to do maths in my head. Um, it, it 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 doesn't work. So um, every time Ducktales either has like a a a time based like holiday, every time they mention like Christmas or like spring break or like any kind of like like a fixed point in time, or they mention the passage of time in relation to another event or episode, it like. I have to like tear down my entire like my entire conspiracy board and start from scratch. <laughs> if you ever wanted a uh, if you ever wanted a visual of our podcast, just imagine two people sitting next to each other and counting on their fingers, looking increasingly <laughs> distressed. <laughs> <laughs> That's extremely true. <laughs> uh, um, it's it's exactly like um. In Mon- in the uh, it's exactly like in um Terror the Terraformians when Monchpad goes, Was there always three of them? Yeah. He's like counting on his fingers all wrong. That's us <laughs> trying to figure out what the timeline of DuckTales is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh not a joke. That's literally I feel I feel I feel like a I, f- I feel like a somebody like I feel like like a first grader learning how to do maths. Um <laughs> whenever I try and figure out the timeline of DuckTales because I'm like, okay, one, one year okay two months okay and i'm like adding it up in my head and i'm like going like i'm ch- I'm chugging along trying to do maths um it's bad it's not good <laughs> um so that's pretty much the only thing of note in 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 neverest um yeah is the upsetting the upsetting implications it has for the timeline um for daydream of doom there's an interesting note which is about how um how they how the crew was aware that um, Webby was going to be compared to Mabel from Gravity Falls, um, which was a big, big thing that happened when kind of the reboot mm. Webby personality was revealed. Because obvi- obviously there was like, there has been kind of like a, a bit of a revolution in, you know, the past like, you know, 10 years probably there of animation. Be one weird girl in television. Yeah, because like Ugh. the thing is, the thing is that there's weird, there's weird girls in, in, in kids animation now, which is fantastic. There should be weird girls. There fan, there's like, there has been like a sore lack of weird girls in previous years. And I'm really glad that they, this is being, this is being rectified. But, um, the problem with that is that people who watch cartoons tend to have no nuance. And so they see one mm. weird girl and they're like, okay, that's the only one of those that there can ever be. And so then they see another weird girl and they're like, okay, you're just copying this other one. Which is not true because like you look at you look at the like, the, like I think Mabel is often used as like the template for like the the excitable adventure, like ad- like adventure prone, like kind of wacky, silly, weird girl. And you look at her and like she mm-hmm. is like a fantastic character, by the way. I love Mabel, I love Gravity Falls. Um but comparing her to Webby is like doing a disservice to both characters because it is reducing them to like excitable, have a grappling hook. <laughs> and that's like their shared character yes. case. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, and, they're exactly um, the same. Can't you see? Can't you see that they're exactly the same? Yeah, because the thing, the the, the key difference obviously is in is in their social competence. Because um, there's an interesting note here where Frank says that um. Webby was influenced by Rachel, Rachel Weiss's character in Brothers Bloom, a shut-in who's been locked away in a mansion where she cultivated tons of odd specific skills, but has little real-world mm. experiences and sees the most normal things as an adventure, which is much better, like a much more like succinct um, summary of, of Webby and how she functions as a specific kind of weird girl 
than to just be like, mm. oh, she's like Mabel because she's because she's loud and she has a grappling hook. Um, because she has no she has no like a frame of reference for normal things. Um, and yeah. like like yes, she is like you know has similar traits to like other female modern cartoon characters, but that's just because in the past female characters have always just been the girl. So of course there's going to be like shared character traits between modern between modern female cartoon characters because we're still trying to like break the mold of what a female cartoon character can be and there's going to be overlap but that's also because there's now more cartoon characters that are girls. Um so there's going to like of course on proportion there's going to be more of them that are weird just because there's more of them full stop. Um so I just feel like the 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 Mabel Pines character like uh comparison is a bit of a cheap shot, which I don't I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I have kind of a personal vendetta against that one. Um, yeah. another funny note about about Deja of Doom, which is that um there was going to be a, sto- a whole other storyline <laughs> cut from this one, which was about Scrooge versus the Forgotten Plumber. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Where Scrooge went I mean, on a quest just... in a forgotten wing of the, ma- of the mansion looking for a long-forgotten, almost mythical second master bathroom. In his quest, he encountered a grizzled plumber he had hired long ago to fix that second bathroom and had been lost searching for it ever since. The plumber set elaborate traps to get revenge on Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so good because it's another example of Scrooge being the most evil person in the world. It's um, so funny. But I think it I think it would be an unfortunate foreshadowing of Feathery's situation. <laughs> <laughs> he sent somebody off to fix um to fix a water related uh, uh um project, let's say. Let's let's call the sea level project and condemn them to a, to a life of isolation. <laughs> I guess the difference yeah. here is that Feathery has no spite towards Scrooge because of this. <laughs> Feathery has no ill feelings. Which is insane. He should. Yeah. Oh, he should. Anyway. Can I, we um, can't talk about this. We can't talk time. about Feathery. Every time we mention him, we start going insane. <laughs> We're touching the stove. <laughs> um, and then all the way back to the first episode, all the way back to Wu'u. Um, talking about how there was originally a sea story that followed Donald on increasingly bizarre physical challenges to get that accounting job. This would have been very funny, but I think it's also very funny that they just kind of kept him in the like the office setting, um, where the only thing mm-hmm. he really did was flail a stapler around. Um, so, it, but this also and obviously kind of belies the the twist of of Donald's job, which is that he's not an accountant; he's going to be a sailor. Um, Mm-hmm. And also cut for time, interesting note, the reveal that Webby's best friend in the mansion was a spider in the vents she named Morocco Pete after one of Scrooge's old adventuring buddies. I am obsessed with Morocco Pete. <laughs> We're gonna have to do an episode on Morocco Pete because um it, it keeps like it keeps it's like this recurring thing in like the DuckTales writers, like whenever they talk about new episodes, they're always talking about ways they tried to get Morocco Pete into the <laughs> new episode but weren't able to. So it's like Morocco Pete is this phantom that's fucking fall- that's fucking like following all the DuckTales episodes. Like this fucking specter of a character that's like getting forced out at the last minute every time. I wish that <sighs> I wish that Morocco Pete the Spider was in every episode. I mean, you know what? He is in every episode. You just can't see him. He's in the corner. He's in a spider web. That's that's yeah, the real conspiracy he's in the, behind he's it. There. He was there the whole time. <laughs> I would love it if the camera panned to the slide to show a massive spider web with Morocco Pete in it and burst. <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge's adopted son. <laughs> Scrooge's adopted son with a one-sentence summary on the Scrooge McDuck fandom wiki. 
<laughs> when we started this podcast, we started it mostly like before we'd even figured out the, the Dim Witty angle. We started it with the intention of looking for clues about Bert. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an insane thing to do, by the way. Insane. Yeah, because there aren't any. <laughs> there weren't any. <laughs> but um, that's just a little peek behind the curtain into the, into the writer's room of the podcast, I suppose. Um, yeah. And then... Um, what, a, what a poorly conceived idea it was. <laughs> uh, I do remember the original Google document where you had, like, a note of, like, of, like news... Hints of for Bert, like hints towards Bert, was like one of the segments yeah, I, we were gonna do. It's no, I believe it said foreign correspondent in brackets. Oh yes, duck wiki. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then below that was a bullet point that said Bert clues. Where is he? <laughs> uh, really, really good, really good planning documents. But um. <laughs> Oh. We're smart people. Uh, um, so just finishing up on on Wuu slash Escape Two slash From Atlantis. Um, originally, um, Jaro and Fenton were going to be in here. They were going to be um working mm-hmm. on the sub. Although Fenton was just going to be referred to as intern as kind of like the idea of this like joke of him being like in the background of every Jaro scene until we actually hear his name. Um, yeah. But it just felt like a bit of a setup and kind of like shortchanging Jaro and Fenton by not giving them their own introductions and just kind of like cutting down on like trimming the fat on this in this episode because it would have felt a little bit bloated with them there um so I can understand why yeah they and they were that. also like there's no way that we were going to get Lin-Manuel Miranda in and as an unnamed extra and get oh yeah, and yeah. I, my response to that is don't get Lin-Manuel Miranda in <laughs> get Royal Spazer instead Get Rose Rise and Set. Problem solved. <laughs> um, but I think I think a really good finisher for this for this episode and for this segment, which has gone very long. I'm very sorry. And I'm very sorry to you, Monty, you're gonna have to edit this monster down. Which is um uh-huh. um uh there's a phrase that I wrote on Matt Youngberg's um whiteboard at the start of this. DuckTales must be great. It became a mantra on our show. DuckTales are the property deserve the very best we had to offer and we've given it our all every day since. And I just think that's a really great way of summing up the attitude towards the DuckTales reboot is that it always feels like they're putting effort into every single episode. Nothing ever feels like they phoned it in. It always feels yeah, like it's re- like it's when, really like born like out, born out of an earnest desire to do well. Yes, to exactly. Make good. It's 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 very much from the perspective of of, of like yes of a fan who who loved this growing up, but also somebody who wants to make it great and wants to make it enjoyable for a new generation. Um, and like yeah, obviously there's episodes where you know we personally or like people personally didn't enjoy them because of structural reasons, because maybe character reasons. Um, but like mm. every episode feels like there is. Like every like everybody is putting an effort to make it great, and it's going to land for somebody. There's never never been an episode of Dotto's where there hasn't been something that I really, really loved about. Yes, exactly. You know, there's always some aspect of every episode that I'm in love with. Yeah, that it's it's not even like oh yeah, there is there is some redeeming aspects to this. It was like no, there was something I adored about this episode. Yeah, (laughs) you know, like that is that's incredible. That is incredible. That is something. That's an experience I haven't really had with other shows. Um, yeah, it's 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 obviously like it's it's like obviously there's other shows that I like and that I really enjoy, but like there'll just be some stinkers sometimes. Um, 
And it's just really impressive to have this show there. There's so much effort put in by every member of the cast, like the writing, the production, the animation, like the voice actors, the sound design, everybody putting, like giving 110% to just really make this as, like the show that it deserves to be. Yeah. And it's amazing. Um, and it's just like, it's really, really gratifying to watch. Um, hmm. And that's why making this podcast is so fun because yeah. uh, it feel it, it's, it's really enjoyable um, to, that there's just there's such a there's such a wealth of like things in the show to dive into and to uh and to talk about um again like again i'm like i feel, i think i have to keep a tally at this point of all like this is why we started the podcast <laughs> <laughs> but like i think it was a lot of it was just the fact that we needed to we needed to look at these episodes in a more structured manner because we would start talking about it and get distracted and go all over the place because there mm. were just so many things that we really really liked yeah. <laughs> we were like it was frustrating that we couldn't actually cover all the ground that we wanted to do when we were talking about how much we liked an episode yeah um, so this is a good way for for us to kind of like get our thoughts out and to like and it's also a really great way of like deepening our already existing appreciation because doing a deep dive really like lets you examine the way that like the episodes are constructed and really like opens your eyes to how much detail is in this show um yeah and it's and, a great creative exercise it's a great creative yeah. exercise to do and to have a look at um what what exactly what exactly uh Dr. is doing so well yeah um, and it's also just fun because i get to watch i yeah. get to watch um my favorite show and i get to talk to um uh, my best friend about Ducktales, and I get to oh. force everybody on the internet to listen to me do it. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, people listen to it. Uh, on that note, um, just thank you all for enabling us to uh, to uh, to pursue this passion project. Um, if you weren't listening, we would do it anyway, but we would be a little bit sadder about it. Uh, we ha- have had a great time this week. We hope you enjoyed uh, Day of the Only Child as, as much as we did, because we obviously fucking loved it. And we hope that if you watched, um, if you watched uh, Fight for Castle McDuck, that you enjoyed that too, because that was a great episode. Um, and next next week we will be covering um, Beware the Buddy System. If you do find yourself find yourself uh, uh, feel it, feeling feeling bereft over the over the hiatus, um, feel free to uh, watch along with us as we do the podcast. Should be fun. Should be fun. Yeah. So uh, with all that in mind, um, I think we'll see you next week. <laughs>